The Joe Rogan Experience. Train by day, Joe Rogan Podcast by night, all day. First of all, it's an, yes, honor, it's an honor and a privilege. An honor and a privilege. No, it's my privilege and it's my honor. This is pure motivation, Joe. Very few human beings that have managed to do as many things as you have. And to do it as... You, you've been relevant for fucking decades, man. It's incredible. Man, I work hard and I hard. I know work. you do. <laughs> you do. But you but, know what the thing, the key to it all is, Joe? What? Everything that I do and everything that I've done has been based around fun. Mm. So... The fun element has always been the, the key factor. Like, it has never been money motivated. It's always been, man, this is fun to do, and I love doing it. And then it was so fun that it ended up making me funds. Hmm. Well, you've, made, you've managed to make a career out of being yourself. Right. That's where, that's where it's amazing. Yeah, but that's the easiest job everybody got, just to wake up in the morning and do you. Yeah, but so many people have a hard time doing that publicly. Right, because it's so, it's so easy to want to be like, something that's out there that feels like it's easier to do and it's more impressionable and it's an easy follow but when you wake up and do yourself that's just the the organic thing that you were built with that you know how to do in your sleep it's true but it's just it's hard for people to be themselves publicly you know they try so hard and they think about their image they try so hard to you know cultivate something and i i know because i've been around those kind of people that got to hide, and then all of a sudden, as soon as the lights go off, then they want to come hang out with you and let their hair down, and they start explaining to you how they can't, they can't. Man, I wish I could do what you do. You can do whatever you want to do. you yeah. just worried about what people are going to say as opposed to the way you feel. I don't worry about what people say. As long as I feel good, I'm going to keep doing it. It's the way to do it. I think by your example, many more people can learn. They can figure out a way to live their life authentically. If it feels good to you, it must be good for you. Um, what about heroin? I ain't trying that shit either. We're, We're never, never trying, trying heroin, heroin, heroin. <laughs> you got your own mic. Joe, I can't prepare. Quit playing with me, man. Don't fucking play with me, Joe. I'm prepared today. Give me a, give me a, give me a, oh, I can use your ashtray? Sure, of course. Okay, perfect. Thank you. We're family. Yeah. Get in there. Will do. I'm going to start off light. I'm going to start off with some flyweight division what is this stuff this is just some flyweight to get me going you know I like watching the women fight and so you roll it you roll blunts with like do you take a part of swisher sweets what do you do i used to be a philly blunt guy then i used to be a swisher sweet guy and now i'm a backwood guy backwards yeah backwards one of the little homies turned me out you know this is a young man's thing but i hang with all of the youngsters and you know they be pushing it on me Unk, hit the backwood hit the backwood i'm like i ain't smoking that and when I finally hit it, I just liked the way it made me feel. It was like it was a relaxer rather than me, you know, going to sleep or wanting to be too excited. It was like the perfect it was the perfect match for me, especially at the Asia mat. Mm. And so you just buy the cigar, take it apart, remove the tobacco. You do it all yourself. You just watch me put one together in thirty seven seconds. That's your thing. And you do know that. I do. <laughs> I do. I learned how to smoke uh, blunts from Charlie Murphy. That's, mm. that's when I first started smoking blunts. Charlie Murphy was a bad motherfucker. He was man. a bad motherfucker. When was, I started smoking blunts with him, I was like, okay, now I get it. I smoked a blunt with him in 1993 on the set of my movie, Murder Was the Case. Wow. That's the first movie I ever was in, and he was the bad guy. And it really? was so Yeah, it was an 18-minute movie that I did on Death Row Records. I went with my uh, 
First album, Doggy Style, was called Murder Was The Case. And Charlie was the bad guy. The shit was hard as fuck. And I loved him so much for just giving me off the intro. This is my first time acting. He was in my movie. And we, you know what I'm saying, hung out, smoked, and chilled and became friends. And I just loved the fact that he wasn't, like, trying to big homie me. Right. He was looking at me like, you know, you a star now, you're going to be a star later, and I'm going to treat you like, I'm going to treat you now, I'm going to treat you the same way later. And we always maintain that great relationship. Charlie was an authentic human being. Mm -hmm. He really was. He was, uh, he's a rare guy who started doing stand-up after he was already famous. That's, mm. a, that's a hard thing to do. Look, I got a story. Me and Charlie Murphy had a TV show for uh, MTV. It was like a story about me as a kid, and it was like cartoon. So we was on the <laughs> we was on the call with the MTV people. This is how he was talking to him. You motherfucking crackers can't tell me how to write a motherfucking show. Fuck y'all. I'm the motherfucking writer of the show. And if you motherfuckers don't like, matter of fact, I'm off the phone. <laughs> and nigga just jumped off the call. It was my first time being on a meeting like that to hear somebody just be fucking real. That shit was encouraging. You know what I'm saying? It made me want to do that, like to, to be real in meetings and not hold my tongue and sit back and let my people do all of the talking. When he drove that meeting and drove that conversation, that showed me that the best shit I can do is be me at all times. Well, Charlie was a man. You at know? all times. He was a man. Like, he was a, a martial artist. He was a legit martial artist. Like, I had some great conversations with him about martial arts. And there was one time that it was me and Maurice Smith, who was the former UFC heavyweight champion, and a dude named Ivan Salivary, who was another top flight UFC guy. And Charlie Murphy was holding court. And he was telling people about how they got to respect the Chicago ridge hand, the specific <laughs> type of ridge hand that Charlie was really good at. And he was telling them. And it's, it's a legit technique, but it was just funny as shit seeing Charlie Murphy standing there <laughs> holding court. There's the picture of it right there. That's Charlie. And the guy right to his right shoulder, that's Maurice Smith, who's a former UFC heavyweight champion. And the guy across, he got his hand in front of his mouth, that's Ivan Salivary. And he stuck, he believed in the story. The way he got his hand in his mouth, that's like a teacher teaching right now. Well, he just, he was a powerful figure. You he know, was, when, when I found out that he was sick and that he died, it was, it didn't make sense. Like, Charlie Murphy is bulletproof. But he kept working through his sickness. Yeah. That's what I commend him for, that he was still. Showing up to sets, being yeah. seen, being heard, leaving his legacy so that way we can continue to see him while he was gone. Yeah. It's just... It's sad when we lose people like that, man. It's, yeah, especially a guy like that. You just don't think he's going to get sick. Like, how did he get sick? Well, you know, it's all God's plan, though, Joe. You know, we, we got to be thankful for the time that we had with him. And we both got personal stories and personal relationships with him. So that's all we can be thankful for is the time that we get with people while they're here. It's true. I mean, we only have a certain amount of time, no matter what. It seems like you got forever because you're in it right now. It doesn't seem like it's going to end, but it ends for all of us. And it's, it's hard to keep that in perspective, but if you could, you'd be better off. Yeah. That's what life is all about, living each day. You only die once, so you should live every day. Exactly. I wish I could dress like you. You can. Hold on. I brought, <laughs> I brought you something. First of all, here's a here's a Def Jam chain for you because oh, you know shit. I'm running things with oh, a Def Jam now, and I want to make sure you was official like a referee with a whistle. Thank you. You can't wear the chain without the Def Jam jacket. Oh shit! Oh yeah, Joe got a Def Jam jacket. Oh, they're shit. gonna hate you. They're Look gonna hate that. you. Don't hate them. And then I know Joe. I know you a Snoop Dogg fan, so I got to give you that Doggy Style, my oh, first album. Oh shit! 
You got to get that doggy style oh jacket, too. Come on, Joe, man. Come this on, man. I got to have you fall out to one of them big UFC fights and, and, and that right there. Dana White's going to love it when 100%. you wait. Dana's going to say, where's mine? December 11th. Say that. That's the next one. Now, now. That's what I'm showing up December 11th for the UFC in Vegas. Wearing that. do know that. Wearing that. Well, you 100%. know we only smoke fire, right? Yes. Can I play this song called No Bammer Weed? Yes. Because we only smoke fire. This off that new album, Algorithm, it'll be in stores November 19th. Should we get a copy of it to yep. Jamie so Jamie can put it through? Uh, can we, we airdrop right it? You could airdrop it to me. If right you, now? Yep. What a I wonderful love. world we live in. I love it. It should show up if you just go to airdrop. Somebody got to help me. I ain't that smart. <laughs> Have you ever airdropped anything? Yeah, all the time, but it always get dead from me. Like, I'd be like, huh? <laughs> airdrop? <laughs> Fuck that mean? I'm looking in the air for the shit to drop. <clears throat> you know how to do it, Joe? I don't know how to do it on See, laptop. with your smart ass. See, like you, you talking all that shit, and you don't even know how to fucking do it. I can do it off my phone. It's a song that's lit up. Me too off the phone is easy. Yeah, I've never done it off a laptop. There you go. This man is smart. Who is this guy? Jamie's a professional. You motherfucker, you? Yeah, he's on the ball. Go ahead, Jamie. He's the GOAT. Jamie's the GOAT podcast producer. I'm going to call you Jaime. <laughs> yeah. You got it now, Jaime? I think so. You can play it whenever you want to. We can chop up some game and get back to it. You know what I'm saying? Oh, there you go. We only smoke fire. Brand new Snoop Dogg. This comes out the 19th. November 19th on Def Jam, my first release. We only smoke fire. We're working hard for this position. Bitches and they body hot. Music make they body rock. Snoopy on that player shit. You are not. Eeny, meeny, miny, moe. I wish back what I'm going light up. Turn up right up and get the party cracking. Some gentlemen. Nothing but all bad bitches. Welcome a man. Smoke a little fire and let it begin. Ready for a good shotgun. But I'm watching niggas don't want to have to pop one. That's my weed, nigga. What? Hit them with the bop gun. Money talk, drop some. Don't like it, you can leave, nigga. California dripping in my low rider. Hit the switch, bounce, then it go higher. Def Jam, don't give a damn. Rolling backwards by the ground. We only smoke fire. Fire, fire, fire. We only smoke fire. We only smoke fire, Joe. Fire, fire, And don't give me no bammer weed. Fire, fire, fire. And don't give me no bammer weed. You know why? Tell him why. Cause I'm... I'm all of the above, I'm a freak of nature I'm Snoopy, you go dub, dub, dub I'm all of the above, I'm a freak of nature I'm Snoopy, you go dub, dub You got it off, Jenny, that's the They don't even hear all of that, just That was amazing, that might have been my favorite moment ever on the podcast <laughs> That was amazing We only smoke fire, Joe Oh my God Yes, sir Thank God for you You know what people don't know? Is that, like, when they see me doing all of this, like, calling fights and calling sports and doing all of this 
I guess it's called analyzm. Is that what it's called? Analyst? Uh, yeah, analyst. Yeah, when I'm an analyst, they don't know that I got my start with the show called The Contender, which was a Dana White show, which was a show where the fighters would come and they would fight to get a contract, so to speak. And one of the fighters that was on that show was Sugar Shane. And I see he came out and became a real good fighter. And I just think about how when I was on there with uh, Uriah Faber and how we was on there just getting my style together as far as how to talk when I'm watching a sporting event. They don't understand that I got my beginnings from the UFC world, man. Y'all bless me. Yeah, well, it was, it was Sugar Shane. Yeah. Uh, Sugar Sean, rather. Sugar Sean O'Malley. <clears throat> Not Bad Sugar boy. Shane. Uh, he's boy. he's fucking phenomenal. When you were doing that, that came, didn't that come out of you doing commentary just for like YouTube videos and shit? Yeah, but the way Dana, he he produced it. You know what I'm saying? Like I was yeah. just doing like freelance shit. And he was like, Nah, hold on, come to Vegas. We're gonna put you on the air, you and him. And then I was in there smoking like a motherfucker. The first couple of fights, it was like, Hold on, you can't be on the same. We got to build you a room off for the sec because <laughs> of the fucking. The rules and regulations to fight and the smoke got to be in this section over here. So I was announcing we had our little booth where we had to smoke off of the set and watch the fight. That's hilarious. From like the booth. Because <laughs> you could legitimately give someone a contact high. Oh, yeah. That's what they were saying. Yeah. But I sure. thought the fighters would, would, would like that. <clears throat> the fighters probably, some of them would. Some of them would. But yeah. You, uh, when you were doing it with Uriah Faber, that was when Sean O'Malley made his big, that was uh, one of his first big knockouts that people got a chance to see him, his style. It was so dope. that You calling his fight, it was part of the fun of him sort of emerging into the UFC. That gave me the, the bug yeah. to be like, fuck that, you could do yeah. this shit, dog, go ahead. Yeah. No, anybody could do it. You know, if you, if you ever watch fights with a cool friend, it's mm -hmm. fun. Always. You know? Or watch it with your uncle. Yeah. Like, your kind of commentary is what most people want to hear. They want to hear people talk shit and have fun. Right. You know? Right. They should have, like, a regular commentary and, like, a shit-talking commentary. Yeah, like they got the Spanish <laughs> when you <laughs> subtitles. Yeah. Like, we're going with the Snoop Dogg version. Yeah, because that's it's it's entertaining for people. It's like you're watching it with friends. I'm trying to get some Super Bowl action now. Yeah? I really want to. Yeah, because we're performing at the Super Bowl, but I want some of that... that in the box. I'm you want to do commentary for the Super Bowl? I need a little bit of that. Just a little bit. Just maybe a half it. a quarter or something. Listen, you you sparred. I saw you spar with Daniel Serafian. Yeah. Now that motherfucker right there was trying to kill me. I told you. <laughs> that so hold scary. on, nigga. I'm just in this. <laughs> you going to flash back and think I'm some, some fighter you was fighting against. But I, I was telling everybody, if Snoop is sparring with that guy, I go, that is a legit guy. He's a legit UFC fighter. Yeah, Seraphian's a beast. Man, let me tell you the shit he used to do with me, though, Joe. He used to make me get on my back and try to get him off of me. The fuck is this? And then I, <laughs> then I, he got on his back, and I couldn't get a fucking punch in. I'm like, man, this is no fair, man. But it was teaching me yeah. both sides of fighting. Yeah. On your back, on top, stand up, all but, of the above. But the fact that you're training with like these really legit guys, that to me was very interesting. Because there's not a lot of people that are like... Gotta get in there with them? Yeah. There's not a lot of people that are like prominent show business people that want to learn how to fight with a guy like Daniel Serafian. And you're taking that chance to spar with him and you're filming it. That's that's pretty wild, man. Hey, man, let me tell you. Wiz Khalifa put all that shit in me. Wiz Khalifa used to wear about 140 pounds. And I used <laughs> to wear about 160. 
and we used to be on tour taking our shirts off and shit. And I used to have way more muscles than him. We used to be doing our shit. All of a sudden, this motherfucker started working out. And then we went on tour. He was like, hey, man, let's run to the crowd. And he's doing all kind of athletic shit. Then he took his shirt off. I'm like, fuck. I looked at him and was like, damn, he bigger than me now. What the fuck is going on? So I asked him. He's like, man, I'm working at Unbreakable. I'm in the gym every day. So me wanting to be, you know, just like he is, I'm, can I go in there? Went, got me a membership, started working out, just training, lifting. And then the fighting element came to me. I was like, I want to learn how to fight better. Because I could fight, but I want to learn how to fight to protect myself, not to just beat somebody up, but to be defensive in case somebody needs some help. Did you ever do any martial arts before that? Only watch movies. Really? Yep. You know, as a kid, you watch movies and you practice those moves and yeah. you try shit. We was those kind of kids. We would jump off of roofs and jump off of mattresses and all kind of shit. We didn't give a fuck. <laughs> a lot of kids must have learned from movies, right? That's Just all imitate, we had. Imitate people doing kicks in Bruce Lee movies and Chuck Norris movies. Joe, let me tell you this. When we was when we watch a movie and we leave the walk in, as soon as the movie go off, a karate movie, we looking for somebody to fight <laughs> and do karate moves on. <laughs> Not regular fighting, but <laughs> motherfuckers stand out there like this doing all this karate shit. When do you think that happened? I think it was like probably Bruce Lee introduced Bruce that. Lee, he he was the fucking yeah. king. Yeah. All his movies, we definitely wanted to imitate him. Yeah. And then the fucking Shaw Brothers, they had some good shit too. And then it was a couple of classics like Five Fingers of Death, Master of the Flying Guillotine. There's certain movies that just really hit in the hood that we really like watching. It's kind of crazy that one guy and one particular style of movie created like a whole way that people wanted to fight. They wanted to start kicking people. Before right. that, it was like fisticuffs. <laughs> now you right? got to watch his legs now. Yeah, they're, they're like one group of people figured it out. And Bruce Lee made sound effects a part of fighting as well. Yeah. Because you would never not do his move without saying, what the? Woo! It's so, it's so attractive to people to fight that way. They like kick each other and shit. I remember I did it's that fun. shit. I thought somebody was doing all Bruce, Bruce Lee sounds <laughs> and was getting my ass kicked. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why the fuck this shit ain't working for me. <laughs> That guy influenced a whole culture. I got a big-ass life, life-size statue of Bruce Lee at the front door of my building when really? you walk in with his shirt off with the three scratches on his chest like this in, oh, in rare form. Oh, man. yeah. I'm a diehard. Yeah, he's the absolutely the original reason why I got interested in martial arts. I lived in an apartment building in Newark, New Jersey, mm. and one of the uh, kids that lived uh, downstairs from me. He, they, they, had, uh, they had gotten to Bruce Lee, and they were telling me about Bruce Lee, and then we watched a Bruce Lee movie over his house, and I was like, holy shit. Wasn't that shit like when you... Star Wars, no disrespect. <clears throat> when Bruce Lee hit the motherfucking silver screen, <sighs> fuck everything. Yeah. Right? It As a kid? Wild. It was wild. Didn't he make you feel like you could do it? Every, like everybody could do it if you could just learn what he knows. And the way he was calm, the yeah. way he talked, and just, don't you see a lot of Snoop Dogg and Bruce Lee and Bruce Lee and Snoop Dogg with the calmness and the be water and yes. just always. Be water. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I am water. Aquafina. <laughs> <laughs> He made kicking people exciting. I'm telling you. It's kind of wild. Kicking wasn't cool in the 70s till Bruce Lee made it official. Then it was a part of your fight style. You, you, even the sweep kick was, a, you would put your hands up and then you would sweep him yeah. off his feet. That was like, like, that move was real famous. A lot of people, 
got caught slipping like that. You know what's crazy is like the stuff he did in his movies was not the stuff that he would uh, it would tell you to do for fighting. Right. He wrote a whole book, Jeet Kune Do. Mm. He wrote this whole book of uh, like all of his Teachings. stuff that he had learned from all these different styles, putting them all together and trying to figure out what's the most useful. But he wouldn't have done all that crazy fancy shit. He would no. have been kicking your knees and kicking your legs. But I think that's why they didn't like him because he was trying to combine yeah. all of the styles and the teachings that he knew. And then he was presenting those styles to people outside of the martial arts world. But they should be thanking him because it would have been just a cult classic as opposed to it being internationally loved and respected. Now martial arts has grown into a point to where we got the UFC, we got kickboxing, we got certain yeah. things that, you know, people can, you know, prosper from it and really get off their talents. Well, when we first started doing it, you you had to stick to the style that you that you were practicing. Like, you couldn't leave your style. Right. Like, if you were a Taekwondo guy and then you wanted to learn Muay Thai, they'd, someone would be upset at you. They'd be like, you don't have to go over there and learn that. Like, that's that's not better than what we do. And well, then, when I first watched, I fell in love with, with Hoyce Gracie. Everybody. This motherfucker used to come out with a robe on <laughs> and lay down and <laughs> kick your ass. I'm trying to figure out how the fuck he got to... If y'all don't grab this motherfucker by his robe and choke his ass out, <laughs> pull the bottom of his robe up and take his his, uh, his little uh, string around his rope and tie his ass up with it, I used to just watch him like, this motherfucker is amazing. Then I met him, and when I met him, I'm like, damn, he's so calm and relaxed. I guess when you know you can fuck a motherfucker up, <laughs> you just sit back and just, just enjoy life. Yeah. I think that robe was a trick in some ways. It was really smart because by wearing the kimono, wearing the, the uh, jujitsu gi, mm -hmm. he, he made people grab him. Always they were grabbing that, yeah. and that brought them to him, right? Exactly. And that's in his style, yeah. you want to be up close and tight yeah. in there. So what he would just smother these guys, and they would, they would grab onto it, and they would be in his trap. And then, boom, he would be on top of them like a spider. Because him and Shamrock was fucking amazing. Yeah, well, him and everybody was amazing. I mean, he was the guy that introduced everybody to the idea that you could be a smaller person with superior technique and win uh, a huge hold, no holds barred competition with giant people. So in my in my book, he's top five UFC all time great. Yeah, you it's, hands fucking down. It's hard to measure how important he was he was what? so important he made yeah. us who we are he, it's it's hard to do like what he what he did by showing people that you could win with technique not with being big not with being strong but for knowing something that the other people don't know change what a martial art was all of a sudden martial art became interesting to really intelligent people right they wanted to figure out like how could someone who's more technical get over and overpower someone who's much bigger and stronger than them. But they can, like, consistently. Right. And Hoyce Gracie showed the whole world that. He's, like, probably the most important martial arts figure ever. I would have Him loved, and Bruce Lee. I would have loved to seen his father fight. Oh, my God. Because just the way his, his old man used to come out there with him with the sweatsuit on, like, yeah. you just knew he was just a shit. Like, if this <laughs> my son, I wish a motherfucker would. <laughs> Watch out, Hoist. Let me get this motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, when he would come out with his dad. That was so shit. gangster to me. Like, Very I just, gangster. those moments I remember about UFC that stained my brain and yeah. was like, this is a brand that's here forever. When you seen that man come out there with his father, and then y'all start running down the tradition of what his father meant to Brazilian jiu jitsu and 
how they are the family that you're going to learn about and know about sooner or later. They're the greatest family in the history of martial arts, and there's not even a close second. Okay, hands down. There it is there. They're the greatest family. There's no other family that's had an impact like they have. So was Hoist the best, Gracie? No, his brother Hickson was. What? Yeah. His brother, and everybody says it. He says it too. His brother Hickson's a legend. He's been on the podcast a few times. Just before UFC. This was like during the UFC, but he was fighting in Japan, and just his jujitsu like was universally regarded as being the best by everybody. Is he Hoist's big brother? Yes. Okay, there it is. There. Yes, it makes Hoist's big, and then Horian's his other brother, and Horian's uh, elite. They're all assassins. Their sons are assassins. I love it. Every like you can't be a Gracie son and not be an assassin. What, <laughs> They're all assassins. Which which Gracie would be in the weight class of? My man used to wear the white wig. Oh, uh, Khabib, Khabib Nurmagomedov, right there. <sighs> any his any his weight class? Uh, Hoyler was close to his weight class, but Hoyler was a little smaller. Hoyler was like one forty five, and he was like one. He's fighting at one fifty five. But Hoyler was an elite grappler too. Hoyler won like multiple world championships. Like they were, they were the whole family. Hodger Gracie, I mean Henzo Gracie. My God, so what could a be, family! Could be, what even if he'd have beat one, he would have to. Another one have been right around the corner waiting on his. Ass. It would have been amazing <laughs> to see Khabib in his prime versus a guy like Hickson in his prime. Yes, just to see them grapple, be fascinating. So Khabib's undefeated. Oh yeah, yeah. Khabib retired undefeated. That's fucking not only, crazy. Not not just undefeated, but never really in a close fight. There was no real close. He took fights. on everybody too. He didn't. He didn't took run from everybody. no fades. He he took on everybody. He had good fights. He had good fights where people put up struggle, but eventually he gets them all. He gets them all. So is he top five? Oh yeah, yeah. Khabib is, in my opinion, greatest lightweight of all time. The other argument is BJ Penn in his prime. BJ Penn in his prime was fantastic. He was so good. He was fast. He get up. Oh my you. god! Stand BJ Penn you. when he was like, if you if you go back and watch like peak BJ Penn, when he was like, he was just, he had phenomenal power. He was ruthlessly aggressive. He had great jujitsu. Everybody was scared of BJ for a while. Right. He, he took. Fight he, who, did he, who did he take it from? He took it from somebody. Well, he beat Matt Hughes. He wasn't supposed to. He beat Matt Hughes in his prime. Right, because Matt yeah. was the champ, right? And he strangled him. He rocked him. Yeah, yeah, and he strangled him. <laughs> and then he held on to it for yeah. a while. Yeah, they, they had some wars, man. Yeah, he was, a, he was an elite grappler, too. Just really, really good. And so it wasn't just his stand-up striking. It was his ground game. But it was also that he would fight anybody. Yeah, he was gangster, but he would get in there and mix it up. He was like a crowd favorite. Yeah. He lost to George St. Pierre. George St. Pierre was just GSB. bigger and b bigger and stronger and, and better, and he, he kind of beat him up. But it was a much, like, the difference in size is pretty evident. And it just wasn't a good matchup for BJ. But that's just because George St. Pierre in his prime was the best of the best. Right. One thing about the UFC, that torch is definitely going to get passed. And when it get past, it's all about who can hold on to it and hold it the longest. There's always somebody coming to get your ass. Always, always, always. There's some guys that can hold it off until they can retire. But, you know, if you just stay in it long enough, eventually someone coming up is going to get you. 
That's just, in everything, though. That's even in the music industry. It's always been like that. Like it's a young man's game. That's why I'm surprised I'm still in it. Well, again, you're in it because you can authentically be you, and people love you. You're like one of the most universally loved people. But it's because of what you put out. Right. You, that's what you put out there. You put out love, and people love you back. Hey man, put it in the air one time. A little bud for the love. A little love for the bud. Oh, I gotta say it the right way. Though. You know how I do it. Yes, yes sir. Big <laughs> Snoop Dogg smoking live on the air. The Joe Rogan Experience. Austin, Texas, a bus. You bitch, you. <laughs> you ain't never had a guest like that. Have come no. with his own motherfucking microphone. Just, just together, man. I need some alcohol, Joe. It's Can I get level. drunk on your show? Yeah, for sure. You got some clear? All that shit over there is brown like me. I need some clear. What do you need? What kind do you like? I like vodka. Do we have vodka, Jamie? What? No, what you what you got here? I'll do what you got. Fuck it. Let's break the rules. Ooh. Mostly, we have whiskey. Oh, shit. Yeah, we have that wild wild fucked up. stuff, too, which is dangerous. What's that? That ricilla is clear. It is? Oh, that stuff is ruthless, yeah, though. Yeah, I wouldn't want to give that to you. Oh, thanks. Oh. <laughs> Appreciate you. <laughs> it's ruthless. It's Thank like, you. It's like turpentine. <laughs> you don't like that kind of shit, right? Hell no. You nah. like vodka, I'm right? on some cool shit, some player shit. You know what I'm He said some shit over there that sounds like it's going to turn me inside out. What's that? Who was on that bottle? Let me get some honey shine. What is that? I don't even know what that is. Bring that over there. It look like my face on there. <laughs> honey honey shine. Motherfuckers making bottle of Snoop Dogg? I don't know what this is. Maybe some moonshine. <laughs> some moonshine with a dab of honey, huh? I don't know. You want to try it? Yeah, let me get lit. Let's let me get lit, lit with you one time, Joe. There we go. I don't know what this is. Me neither, but here's a toast to the boogie, baby. Salute, sir. Blessings. Whoa. That shit's strong as a motherfucker. I think it's moonshine. Shit, this must be some moonshine out the motherfucking Duke Boys truck. Enos must have made this shit. Damn. (laughs) Shit. Uh, Ah, I got you. Oh. Shit. Moonshine is a thing now. You can buy moonshine. It's just hilarious. You can buy it for real. I mean, they used to have to bootleg it, right? I mean, that's how the Kennedys made their money. For real? Oh, you yeah. mean the daddy them, Pops. Yeah. Pop Kennedy. The Pops. A lot of people did. That's, you know, that's where NASCAR came from? Mm-hmm. It All was right. created off of that. Yeah, what do we got here? We got vodka. Both vodka. Both vodka. Well, this shit you just gave me in here is a motherfucker. That shit you sitting like in it? my chest like he- a heater. I love it. You want some more of that? I'm going to do them both. All right. And people know that's watching this shit that I don't drink, but I'm with Joe Rogan, so fuck y'all. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> mm. Mm. Shit. Felt like I poured a whole bottle of alcohol in my chest. What do you usually drink? I drink indigo gin. I drink 19 crimes wine or rosé. You know, I'm a player, Joe. Drink that shit that's cool. This kind of shit when I'm with the boys and we want to act a fool. But normally I'm on some player, relax shit, making sure I'm in control. Because that brown, brown and brown don't mix. <laughs> Are you involved with that 19 Crimes wine? Is that yeah, something yeah, you, you know, Yeah, you know the plug was plugged. You already know yeah. that. <laughs> well, no, it's good shit, man. I buy it. You do? Yes. You won't never yes. have to buy it again. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're going to ship good. a gang of that shit up here. Thank you. It's very good. I mm. bought it before. <laughs> Yeah, you know me, Joe. I'm just trying to diversify my portfolio, you know. Because I, like I felt it. like, you know, early in my career, 
when I was making songs like Gin and Juice, I felt like Tangeray and Seagram's really made millions and millions of dollars off of me without me knowing what I was doing as far as promoting right. their brands. So once I learned the system and figured out that, wow, you could become a marketing and a brand ambassador, and you could also get some equity or either just create your own alcohol brand. Yeah, people blew up brands for nothing. They blew up brands and just, you We know. didn't know no better, whether it was Gucci, yeah. whether it was Nike, Converse, whatever it was, we did it out of the love of the brand, and then the brand didn't understand that <clears throat> we were promoting for them, so they should have just naturally said, hey, here's some money, be a brand ambassador. When we would come to some of these brands, they would say, we don't need you, you're promoting us anyway. Yeah. Yeah. It's a w weird thing to try to realize. Well, it comes with business. It's called, yeah. it's called show business, Joe. So initially when you get in the industry, you, you're about to show. And the business takes a while to catch up. But somebody like me that, you know, had to learn the hard way, I had to learn the show and the business fast. That's why it's called show business. When you learn them both, you'll be where you're supposed to be. When, when did everybody figure that out with brands and stuff, though? When, when did people figure out that it's better to just make your own brand? Probably promote like, your own brand. Probably when Master P had No Limit Records. Because No Limit Records was the perfect example of branding your own artists, branding your own merchandise, your own mm. movies, your own shoes, your own tater chips. Master P branded any and everything that he wanted to, and it was all up under him. And he showed people how to be independent and create your own and not have to always go to the system and, you know, play on the field, but be an actual owner and a real, you know, decision maker. The the business of show business. It's it's very hard sometimes for artists to think about shit like that. You just want to be free and have fun and talk shit, but then you realize like, oh, you're helping another organization for no reason. But see, that's not what they teach. They don't teach financial literacy. They don't they don't teach us anything that could help us on the business you know scale. And that's from athletics to entertainment. You know, take for example these college football players and basketball players. They don't teach them how to handle millions of dollars. So when they do get that first contract and they blow their money or do something crazy with their money, it's not their fault. It's the system's fault for not teaching because if you're going to if you're gonna prepare someone to go to a professional field, the first thing you do is teach them financial literacy and how to, you know, maintain that, not just the ability to be skillful and make money for the brand but be a part of being the business so you can make money for yourself because you're branding the brand. Do they have any classes on like how to be a professional football player and manage your money? Do they have any class? I mean, if you would think that if they, if they have football at a university and it's big for the university, shouldn't they have class? Do they have classes? They probably where they do. they teach the kids what to do if you start making money? I think they do, Joe, but I just don't think it's the awareness of it is actually being promoted or pushed like it should be. They push it more of the... Get on the field, be a star, get to the NFL, get to the NBA, as opposed to get in the class, learn what's going to happen with this money, so in case you do become successful, or even after your career is over, you should have a business plan for life after ball. Yeah. It's, uh, it's hard for people to think about that, like when it's going to end. Imagine when these, for example, try a UFC fighter, someone who wins on the contender and he gets a contract for three fights, and he gets another three fights, and now he's got $20, $30 million. And then two years later, he has zero. Yeah. Because he didn't know how to position it. Like, look at how Conor McGregor took his UFC shit and started branding and making money here and there and there and there and there and there. And there. 
Like, but he's probably like one of the only ones. You don't see a lot. You know what I'm saying? It's like Tom Brady. He's a one-on-one. There's only one-on-ones. LeBron James, he's a one-on-one. But that creates an atmosphere to where some can follow. You probably won't be as high as him, but you'll be in the same round. Yeah. Those rare humans like that. Those one-of-ones. Like, mm-hmm. everybody's like, why? You know, when you see a, a Conor McGregor, like, how the fuck is he so much more interesting? Like, what's going on? Like, what's going on when someone just blows up and you just want to see them fight more than anything? Like, this, uh, do you know who Hamzat Shemaev is? Yes. That's that's another guy that everybody's like, I can't wait to see that motherfucker fight again. Can he I fight again tomorrow? See, I want to see him fight, too. Joe. Can he fight tomorrow? I fucking want to see him, too. I don't know why, but I do want to see <sighs> He's him. He's got fight. it. Whatever that thing is. He's got it. It's that interest to, to yeah. want to learn more about him because he's he's entertainment. Yeah. When he's like, I killed them all <laughs> after his last fight. And just bring them to me. I killed them him. all. I'm like, whoa. I'm like, this motherfucker sound like he's in gladiators Dude, and shit. He's real. Yeah. That's really him too. But see that like I say, the best thing you could do is you. Yeah. He's having fun doing him right now. And we and we and we're locked in because we don't see too many people doing him but him. Snoop, the word is he's even better than you've seen. The, mm. the word is by people who train with him, they're like, dude, he is a fucking freak of nature. He's a freak of nature. He's really smart. He knows what to do. He's got sick timing. He's just like he's got a, a, a super genius fight mindset. Like, like you watch me. him fight, he doesn't make any mistakes. He's had, I, I think he's had three or four fights in the UFC. He's only even hit twice. He's that defensive? He, he's just a swarm. Wow. He's just a swarm. Mm. One guy knocked out with one punch in the first round. These other guys, he just gets a hold of and smashes them. It's wild. And there's nothing you can do when he gets his hands on you. It's wild, and everybody can sense it. So he's got that thing about him, and he's got that thing about him just purely from his talent. Connor has that thing about him because of his talent and his personality. Right, right, and his conversation. Like, yeah. Just when you hear him talk, just to hear somebody from that country talk, that shit just sounds fucking crazy, <laughs> especially when they talking that shit. Like, you know that, <laughs> I'll fucking take his fucking head off and fucking break his fucking, fucking bollocks. Yeah, like, that shit just sound like a fucking movie to me, one of them motherfucking <laughs> uh, Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, angry British men. They're the best sounding angry English yes. people. Fuck yes. The best sounding angry people for sure. Connor's going to give you a sound bite. You can believe that. That's hilarious. So true. I mean, and that shit talking just makes it so much more interesting when it actually comes to the fight. But that's what we love about sports is that you could talk shit as a fan and as a as a person that's actually in the middle of the situation. Yeah. And that's what we love about the shit that we do, is that we could talk shit and back it up. And when the fight is over with, you know, it is what it is. We got to move on. Because I like when somebody talking shit, and then they do the press conference, they do a little pushing and all that shit, then they get in the fight. 20 minutes later, and he got his ass kicked. Yeah. And then you got to interview him. He'd be like, well, you know, I, got, I respect him now. You know, I got, I got respect for him now. <laughs> I love that, when somebody earns their respect. Do you like doing that thing for a uh, trailer? Do you like uh, doing those uh, fight cards and fucking around? You know what I like? I like being in front of a live fight talking that shit. <laughs> and I don't have to fight. <laughs> <laughs> 
I like that part, you know, because normally, you know, in that environment, you'd be feeling like, man, let me go help the motherfucker that's losing. But I'd be like, fuck the motherfucker that's losing. That's what your ass get for coming in there looking like that. That's like a, uh, like we were saying earlier, like just regular people who watch sports, you get a chance to have a regular person, you know, give it to you the way that you would want to hear it. And the way you're probably listening, the way you're probably watching it at home is the way I'm giving it to you when I'm when I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, you're, you're doing it like you would do it if we were hanging out. That's what people, people like. They like that. Right. You know, when I'm doing the UFC, I have to be very professional. That's what I'm doing. It's a more professional thing. But sometimes we'll do these fight companions where we just get high and get drunk and watch the fights and talk shit. But when you were D.C., y'all different. Yeah. Y'all break the rules. Y'all be on some other <laughs> shit. I love when you with him. Because if somebody get knocked out, you two motherfuckers are jumping up, falling out of your chair, or yeah. hitting each other upside the head or something. That, he is the nicest guy on earth. He is one of the nicest people I've ever met. And he trans he transformed into a fucking great announcer. Amazing. Too. He's the shit. I Amazing fuck with announcer. Him. Amazing. I fuck with him. He did but he's that. also fun. He's like fun. Like he had this little argument with Kamaru Usman. It was hilarious. Where he was talking about whether or not uh, Colby Covington took Kamaru down officially. Because he was saying it's a takedown. He's a wrestling expert. Mm -hmm. He was a two-time Olympian. So he He's knows. like, that's a takedown. And then so him and Kamaro were talking. And Kamaro was like, well, you know, I, I guess it's uh, they judged it by how much control. He didn't establish control. And DC's like, two. Two wow. points. Like, oh, that's a takedown. Wrestling points. He was going, dude, that was a takedown. Wrestling two points. points. But he's he's so lovable. So me and, me and him do commentary. It's like... You know, hanging out. And it's informative, too, because oh, man. the way you guys inform us on certain shit in the UFC world, you make it fun to listen to. It's not too complex. Like, a lot of times when you watch sports, they using big-ass words, and you don't know what the fuck they talking about. Y'all make that shit easy to understand. Easy. Well, DC will break it down so the fighters can actually learn from, yes. like, if they're in this position next time, what are they doing wrong? Like, right. he, he's giving point. He's like, he's got he should have had his head on the left side. He should have been driving forward, and that's why he got stuck there. Like, he's, like, explaining as it's happening. And I like when it's happening how both of you guys are talking to the fighter without him hearing you, telling him what he should be doing and how he got in that move and how he need to get his ass out of that move and he's going he should have his legs around his waist he should be put he should be trying and all of a sudden the shit happened and be like damn did y'all predict this shit no it's like there's certain moves in jujitsu where you know a guy has to do the next thing in right. order to finish the guy so you see it coming and you just the problem with those little shows is sometimes like if if dc's yelling out advice they might be able to hear him Oh, cause because it's that close. That apex center. Right. Because you, you did the one with Sugar Sean O'Malley. That was at the apex center, mm -hmm. right? That's that little spot. It's intimate. You can hear it everything. Yeah. So if you're yelling out advice, if you're Daniel Cormier, and you're saying what the guy needed to, needs to do right you now. You may be listening to him. He's listening. He's listening. <laughs> he's right there. So he's getting choked up. Like, he's, yeah. He and needs to get his the chin. Guy just put yeah. his chin up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, you're getting it like in real time advice from an Olympian, and he's uh, been coaching wrestling his whole life. I mean, he's a he's still coaching wrestling. So it's like when you see a guy like that doing commentary. So here's the here's the here's the elephant in the room. Which UFC fighter is going to handle Jake Paul? I don't know. I mean, he. 
for for them to be like uh, to get free from a UFC contract they currently have, I don't think Dana White is going to do that. So nobody good enough can beat him that will come over. I don't know. I mean, maybe if they thought they could make a lot of money and there was someone who was like a current UFC fighter and they could arrange it, maybe they could make some sort of a joint promotion. But I just don't see the UFC doing that. Well, I think Tyson, it doesn't have to. I mean, look, Jake, Jake Paul's killing it in boxing. He it's, is. It's brilliant shit. I just don't want him to stand in front of Mike Tyson. It look like that's going to happen if... That's going to be Logan. That's the one who fought Floyd. But see, when he whooped Logan, it's all a domino effect. Yeah. Now go get your little brother. <laughs> <laughs> you know this. You know this shit. Come on, Joe. Quit playing with me, man. It's yeah. Mike Tyson. We Listen, talking about. This is not a regular motherfucker. It's not a regular dude. And, and it I, may. And I don't give a fuck. If it he's may 55. trigger his old instincts. Like, do you know it's still that motherfucker still in there? Snoop, let me tell you a story. <laughs> the reason why this table's this wide. This is true. This is a true story. When I first moved to Austin, I had a, a smaller table that I was going to set up. And I'll like maybe I'll be a little more intimate with with the with the guest, and then uh, I had Mike on one time, and the first time I had him on, Mike was not training at all, and he said he can't work out at all because it'll ignite his ego, and he just smokes a lot of weed, and we had a great conversation. It was real fun, and then he came back on again to promote the Ro to, to promote the Roy Jones fight, and he was jacked. His giant muscles in his forearms, and he he looked like he was ready to go. He, like you could see the element that made him Mike Tyson in his prime had been like reignited, whatever mm. it was. I'm like, now I need, I need a wider table. <laughs> I got I'm, I was nervous in the room with him. Like you could tell he's ready to go. I don't give a fuck if he's 55. Like 55 in 2021 is not 55 from like 1988. It's not. It's not the same thing. Still fucking hurt when they hit your fucking head. You watch him hit pads. Have you seen him hit pads with Rafael Cordero? It's terrifying. It's fucking terrifying. Not terrifying because he's 55. Fucking terrifying. That's a terrifying human. If he was 21 and he was hitting pads like that, I'd be like, holy shit, this kid's a killer. Iron Mike Tyson. The fact that he can still do that at yeah. 55. And he's smoking weed, Joe, so he's, a probably, lot of weed. he's probably in his best condition of his life. I bet he's going in there high. Why wouldn't he? Why wouldn't he? I think he said he fought Roy Jones high. I know for a fact he did. I believe it. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> like, he likes it. Makes him more calm and relaxed. And I walked through everybody's dressing room before the fight and made sure they had their pep speech for me. Mm-hmm. I think he was going to fight Lennox Lewis, too. There was some talk of that. Wow. But I don't know if that's real. Look at that fucking savage body punch. Jesus Christ. The pad man got to be hurt. Yeah. I mean, there's some videos of him, Jamie. Yeah. See if you can find a video of him. Oh, with that Very speed. Recent. That's recent? That was like, yeah, yesterday. See if you can find, like, one of those videos of him hitting the pads because it's fucking horrifying. It's just amazing that he can still generate that kind of speed and power at 55 years old. See, what's going to hurt is when he that light click on, he's going to be like, you the motherfucker that beat me. You're going to treat one of the motherfuckers like Buster Douglas. Man, when in the 80s, when he was in his prime, it was one of the craziest times ever for boxing, where fights just became like executions. Mike, look at the Mike Tyson Snoop Dogg face. This shit. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> uh, 
Oh, here it is. So here he is, 55 years old. I mean, come on, man. And you know, you're looking at a lot of these videos. They're from months and months ago, and he's still training. So he's only got better. Yeah, he's getting it back. Muscle memory, right? But this is terrifying. Look at his trainer's eyes. That motherfucker looked like man. You better hit me, Mike. Hold on, my face right there. <laughs> his trainer is a legend. Yeah, gotta be. Rafael Cordero's a legend. He gotta be to stand his ass in front of him. <laughs> yeah, he's a Muay Thai uh, specialist, but an MMA coach from uh, Shoot the Box. Rafael mm. Cordero. Shoot he's a legend, box. and he runs King's MMA. Oh, that's big. Yeah, that guy training with Mike Tyson is crazy. It's it's fascinating that Mike chose a, like a, a martial arts he guy got it, to he do got it. his mind right. That's letting you know his mental is different. Dude, he was terrifying. He's terrifying. The fact that Logan Paul wants to box him, it's like wow. I can't well, believe they're really gonna do that. I I can. I'm probably gonna be announcing the shit. Yeah. <laughs> What's I your got, prediction? Second round KO. Yeah, that kid's going to get hit for sure. Because Floyd was hitting him. Yeah, Floyd was hitting him. Uh, Floyd is, you know, only taking a small amount of time off. And Floyd's had those exhibition fights. You know, Floyd's he stayed, stayed power shape. is nowhere near Mike nowhere Tyson's near. power. Nowhere near. But I was just saying that Floyd has been pretty active, like, as a boxer. Yeah, yeah, He'd fought Pacquiao yeah. recently, you know. Went to Japan and mm -hmm. fought. Yeah, I mean, he fought that, yeah, the Japanese uh, kickboxer guy, Nazukawa, uh, Tension. He fought, um, uh, he was just, he was fighting guys like Conor McGregor that we knew Floyd was going to beat them. Mm -hmm. But he was still active. Right. With Mike Tyson, Mike hadn't been active forever. Forever. He was getting fat for a minute. Yeah, he got real fat. And he was smoking he went weed vegan for a while. Time, yep. Yeah, he's, uh, you know... That's a different kind of person. Shit, Mike in shape now. He look good as a motherfucker yeah. right now. He looks chiseled. His mind is right. He got some good weed. Got his motherfucking body together. I'm like, yeah, that's the Mike I like. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what, what Logan can do to keep away from him. Well, I'm betting on Mike all my money. <laughs> yeah, it just the only thing that you would have on Logan's side is youth. Youth. That's it. You don't sit your young ass down somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the level of skill. It's like so many magnitudes different. I That's why it's, one, it's I wild. I one more song for you. What did I put it in an airdrop? Yeah. Did you get it? Did you get it, Jamie? Uh, no. What I got to do? Highlight it and then put it in there? Yeah. Okay, what about that? Yeah, this is a, a anthem for me and you right now. You got some weed now, the time to place that shit up. Come on! In the morning, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like my weed, my weed. In the noontime, Every day, I feel like it's about to end. About to end. About to end. I've been through this life, I'm trying to separate the really for real and pretend. Yeah, yeah. 
All these niggas always look crazy. Every day your mother lose a baby. And every day a baby lose a mama. And we all go to Instagram for drama. I like my weed. I like my weed. In the morning. Like it in the morning. I like my weed. For all the weed smokers out there. November 19th. This single is out right now. Jane Hancock. Off of that album with the model. Yeah, Jane. Talk to him, Jane. When I go to sleep at night. Yeah. Blaze that shit up. What you waiting on? Living lavish, gotta do great. I can't do average. I'm well established. You got some weed and gone and pass it. Different fabric. You'll be surprised who really acted. When it's what? When them lights, camera flashing. I ain't gossiping with these birds. I'm on other shit. Why? Niggas can't talk to me stupid, cause I'm not that other bitch. Cautious with who I'm with. Thank God I'm talented. I gotta hit a right percent. If you want my master in, this time I'm betting on me. I don't give a fuck if I can write these songs in my sleep. I told myself that it'd be over if I had self-esteem. And now I got it. I'm freestyling, but my style ain't for free. Just think about it. I do this for the ones in the hood that won't ever leave it. You can see this product from Richmond and believe it. Long as it's good, gon' do what you want. My mom and dad know, so I ain't scared to smoke my marijuana. Yeah. All the weed smokers out there. Smoke it in the morning. If you're on your lunch break, smoke it on your lunch break. Get your smoke on real quick. Go in the bathroom. Go sit in your car. I like, I like, I like when my thoughts come down. I smoke. Jane Hancock, off of that algorithm album, November 19th on Def Jam. Live and exclusive on the Joe Open Experience. You bitch you. Can I ask you how you create a song? Like how when when you're putting something like that together, do you write it out on paper? Do you just say it until you remember it? Like Jay Z apparently doesn't write anything, right? Right. He just keeps it all in his head. Do you do that? Do you write it? When I first started out, my first album, Doggy Style, I got two songs where I just freestyle. One is called G's and Hustlers, and one is called The Shiznit. Those two songs, I just went in there and just freestyle whatever came out of my mind and my head at the day. I've been good at that for a long time, but a lot of times I like to make sure that I'm pinpointing a specific topic, a specific cadence, and a specific style that I'm trying to perfect when I'm making a song. I'm not just trying to make a record for the day. I'm trying to make something that's going to be here tomorrow and the next day and the next year. So when you said you freestyle it, you mean like when you walked in, you really didn't know what you were going to sing when you were recording it? Well, the song, The Shiznit, was supposed to be a mic check. I was supposed to go in there and just check the mic. <laughs> mic check, one, two, mic check, and Dre put the beat on. Mic check, check, one, two, one, two. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nina Ross, you know I got to have it. I stay back in the cut, retain myself. I'm thinking about the shit, and I'm thinking, well, how can I make my grip? And how can I make that nigga straight slip? Set trip, gotta get him for his grip as I dip around the corner. Now I'm on a, another mission, wishing upon a star. It's Snoop Doggy Dog with the caviar. In the back <laughs> of the limo, no demo, this is the real. I'm breaking niggas down like Evander Holyfield. Chill till the next episode. I make money, and I really don't love hoes. To tell you the truth, 
I swoop in the coupe. I used to love. <laughs> man, come on, man. Quit playing with you. <laughs> that was all a freestyle, just going in that motherfucker and just spit from the dome, and it just came out, and Dr. Dre just made wow. it work. Made it work. But every song is different. You know, because sometimes a song would come to me from just like hearing some shit or just being out somewhere and be like, damn, I want to make a song about whatever I just went through or whatever I'm going through or whatever is the moment. It's always a, a different experience every time we make a song. So sometimes it's something that you actually write out? A lot of times. The song Murder Was The Case, I wrote that song um, because I was thinking about life after death. The song was initially called Dave, D-A-V-E, Death After Visualizing Eternity. Whoa. And it was crazy that I was thinking of shit like that and I had made a song called Murder Was The Case that was about me losing my life. But before I lost my life, I did a, cut a deal with the devil, but then God came back and gave me another chance. That was in my mind, but when I wrote it, it just became some gangster shit, but that was the premise behind it. And it was just in my head, like, I want to write a song like this. And then three months later, I caught a murder case in real life. Well, yes. So my pen was actually writing reality. So I had to pull back from certain things and say, maybe I should start writing about life and living instead of always writing about dying and death. Whoa. Deep. Just Very. Th just think about my peers. Me, Tupac, Biggie. Yeah. Like, just think about our records, the last records that they made. It was a lot of death. It had some life in it, too, but it had a lot of death in it. Yeah, that East Coast, West Coast shit, it became a, a, real, a real divide in the country with hip-hop, right? Yeah, it was because you didn't want to be on the wrong side. And you didn't want to, like, like, for example, if you had friends, right, that was leaning more towards the East Coast, and then you had a friend that really wanted to hear West Coast music, y'all might have ended y'all friendship yeah. based off of that. Really? It was that serious. Yeah. How did it, it went, it kind of isn't that way anymore, though, right? Mm-mm. What it was. The more, you, that's good. Isn't that, like, a good sign for the future? That's a great sign. There's people working together from all, from all parts of the world. Because, like, in the 90s, that was a real problem. That was a real divide. The divide was the we couldn't control the media like we can now. Mm. So even back then, East Coast and West Coast used to hang with each other and kick it and love each other. But we didn't control the media platform, so we we couldn't we didn't have an Instagram or Facebook and none of that shit where we can slap up a picture of me and Nas and mm -hmm. Jay Z and this person hanging out. Right. We didn't have that. All you had was the media saying the East Coast and the West Coast don't like each other. Which side you choosing? Yeah, and that's just that. Yeah, and it's their job just to sell newspapers. Right, and, and then once lives were lost, then you could blame. You can naturally say Tupac. Okay, did somebody have something to do with that from the East Coast? We don't know. Biggie, he got killed on the West Coast. So that put speculation that maybe somebody from the West Coast had something to do with it. So it just kept fueling to the fire until you had people like uh, Puffy, myself, Steve Harvey, who were man enough to say, look, we need to put an end to this and let people know that we don't advocate that. We really love each other. We're a family. And we started building bridges and started doing things together and being seen together and, and controlling our own narrative as far as what we was putting in the public's eye. 
I'm glad that it uh, it ended because it showed that that's possible. That real disputes. I mean, think about the dispute in this country between just the Democrats and the Republicans. Mm. Like, what the fuck? I thought we were all supposed to be American. It's like we split it down to two sides of a country. And it seems like it's a similar thing. And that I hope we could get over it the same way East Coast, West Coast rappers got over it. I know, I know we can because... That's real progress. One thing about the world we live in right now, Joe, look at me and you. Look at how we're doing this right now. You know how many people we're bringing together? By me and you sitting right here chopping it up talking. We making peace right now. I hope so. I know so. I hope so. I know so, cause it's it's a ton of motherfuckers that I know that fuck with you, that love you, that suggested that I do your show, and I've been telling you that anyway. You know what I'm saying? I've been through all of my people, whether it was Burt Kreischer, whether it was whoever the fuck has always been like Joe. What's happening? When I'm gonna come on your show? I always be at. What's happening, Joe? When I'm gonna come on your show? I just never wanted to bother you. Fuck all that. <laughs> I didn't want to hear that shit. You gonna drop I that ne- soft ass comment? I never wanted to bother I you. I never wanted to bother. Every you. time I see you, don't I bother you? Listen, man, I'm you're one of the guys that I get legit legit nervous around. Come on, man. I've been a fan of yours for so long. I get nervous that you talk to me. Remember when Bert? <laughs> remember when Bert called you that night when yes. we was doing the Go Big Show? Yes. The, what did I say? What's happening, Joe? Yeah. Can I do the podcast? Listen, you can do the podcast anytime you want. I just I'm didn't just want saying, to bother you. But people on my team suggested like well we know we pushing the album and all that shit definitely for press and promotions but on top of that they was like man joe rogan is the motherfucker do you know him i'm like what let me let me text him and see what's happening real quick so i had to pull out my rolodex and text you and you was like hey man this is the wrong number hit me from the other number then you called me i'm like look joe fuck that shit i gotta come see you man let's make it official man i love you and i love what you do so we just need to stand by each other and support what we do this is what it's about when I was on uh, FaceTime with you, this is how you transcend generations. I was on FaceTime with you at my dinner table, and uh, I have a, a daughter who has a dog named Snoop, and somehow or another, my 13-year-old thought I was talking to the dog. And uh, I'm like, what's up, Snoop? And then uh, I turn, and I show her the FaceTime, and she goes, holy shit, it's Snoop Dog for real. <laughs> <laughs> My daughter's never done that. Like, said, did a, Holy shit, it's Snoop Dogg for real. She said that like she's been saying that shit for years. That shit came out too slick. Ah! <laughs> it was hilarious. Come on, man. We family, That's man. That's amazing. I just I just met the dog in real life. Yeah. Which y'all don't know, me and the dog just bonded. He's Snoop. a little cutie, isn't he? Yeah, man. He fuck with me. That's my nephew, man. You understand yeah. me? I'm the dog father. You know, when the dog see me. You have either. 20 dogs? Yeah. When a dog see me, Joe, this is naturally what happens. I don't give a fuck if it's the meanest, toughest dog. Either he come over to me and he rub me or he lay on his back or either he just sit down and just pee because he'd be so happy he just start peeing. He'd be like, damn, that's Snoop Dogg. <laughs> <laughs> You're a real dog man. You seen it I with your own two eyes. I saw it. You can't fake that. The way you came up to that little dog and then he was like like froze and you started petting him and he started giving in to you. And he posed for the picture. Mm-hmm. Come yeah. on now, Joe. Who does that? Yeah. Who it's the fuck like, does that? For him, it's like meeting like a, a mythical god. You've heard like your namesake. <laughs> your namesake is a man. He raps. He's in movies. And you imagine you're a dog. You're trying to figure this out. Who am I named after? Yeah. Oh, you've never been after Snoop Snoop D O Double G, the real the motherfucking dog father. The dog father. And when he see me, say that's that smell like that smell like the dog father. <laughs> oh, 
shriver me timbers. Uh, exit stage left. It must be the dog father. I Imagine must run up. If he tried to explain to his friends that he met the real Snoop Dogg, they'd be like, shut the fuck up. You lying. I'm telling you. How the fuck you meet Snoop Dogg? Sit your little you, ass down it. somewhere. You ain't meet no motherfucking Snoop Dogg. I met him, dog. I'm telling you. The motherfucker was scratching my back and everything. Don't you think you have some sort of a telepathic relationship with dogs? I think I do. I yeah. think I think that's what my um, previous life, I think that's what I was. If you have a good dog, though, a good connection with your dog, I think everybody has a telepathic connection with their dog. You you probably especially love dogs, and they can, they can sense that right away. Mm -hmm. Just like you can sense a person who's a loving person right away. Right. Dogs can sense that, too. And you're obviously a, a loving a dog person. You love that dog, I can mm, tell. Man, I, I go up to the meanest, toughest dogs, Joe, Yeah. and I break them. Like, that's my thing, to break a dog, like... He he's he's mean. He doesn't. I'm I'm not the whisperer. What his name is? Caesar, the little dog whisperer. I ain't him. I'm like a different version of that. Like it could be a real mean, tough dog, and I'd be like, let me go talk to him. And I walk him back in the living room. Sit. He sit down. He's never sat like that before. <laughs> I know. Well, what did you do to him? Don't worry about all that. <laughs> <laughs> I've always been pretty good with dogs, but some dogs are just, you can't take a chance with them. The big ones. Yeah, there's like, not even some of the big ones. Like, there's some medium-sized ones that are real sketchy. If they're not trained right, like Belgian Malinois. Oh, yeah. That's not that. a big dog. Nah, I'm talking about American dog. All that European shit, I don't do all that. Those are the, they're, they call them meat missiles. Yeah, you got to talk to them <laughs> in a different language. I don't speak that shit. And you see those things, you're like, you're basically a wolf. Exactly. That's basically a little wolf. Right. And, and they use them for uh <clears throat> service duty. They're 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 always used overseas. That's the that's the dog of choice. Those motherfuckers can walk on tight ropes. Man. Have you ever seen that, Snoop? No, I haven't. They walk tight ropes. For real? Yeah, for real. Yeah, they have like two tight ropes and the dog puts one paw on each one and he walks on this tight rope. They go over obstacle courses, they can jump like twenty feet in the air. They're like missiles. You know what my mission was when I used to go overseas <clears throat> was to break the mother. Look at this. Watch this video. Look at this fucking dog. This is how smart they are. Look at this obstacle course this dog's running. Watch this. Oh, that's hard. This is crazy. This is how smart they are and how driven they are. This dog has a course to run. He knows the course. He's walking on ropes, hopping from object to object. The fact that a dog can be trained to do this and follow these instructions this clearly, like he knows exactly where to go and he's doing all this crazy shit. Like, look, he's on a fucking tightrope again. And you don't have to talk to him. You don't have to tell him what to do. He knows what to do. Is it this guy giving him instruction or the dog just doing it, Jamie? I don't know. Okay, he is giving him instructions. That's gangster right there. Look at that. He's making the dog walk <clears throat> on his fucking front legs. That That's crazy. Come on, go, go, hurry up. Come on, go. The fact that you could teach a dog to do this, like, that is not a normal yes. dog. That, that dog must Try. have immense problem-solving drive, go, go, go. like prey drive. Look, look and that's shit. what makes a good hunter. That's why they're so scary. Yes. He can go get a rat. Exactly, a or a person. Yes. That dog will go get a person. This nigga can't walk no ladder. Come yeah, on, he's walking up a ladder on, and going man. down a slide. Come on, cuz. <laughs> Come on, cuz. On the roof? He's on the roof. And he went up there to get the ball. That's oh, amazing. That's, so nice to go. that's amazing. And for his reward, <laughs> he gets a ball. 
Wow. Dude, that's... That's See, what she said. She wanted some balls for a reward. You know what's interesting? It's like, that's cool to watch. <laughs> it's cool to watch a dog that can do that. It's amazing. That's but why does, why does a dog have that kind of problem-solving ability? Why? To kill things. Right. right. That's why. That's right. That's why it's so good right. at that. It's right. why it's also so hard to control. They want to kill find things. Go find him. Go yeah, find him. Exactly. They just want to hunt. Uh, You're going to get found with that motherfucker looking for you. <sighs> That's not a big dog either. That's kind of a scary animal because it's like a 60-pound thing that'll take out men. It look like a German Shepherd, damn it. They look similar, but they're no. smaller. They're actually, well, I don't know for the most part. You know, I'm, what, not, I'm not a Belgian Malinois expert, but I believe they're smaller. Let me tell you what my mission was. Look at this, like, Snoop. Look at this. Look at this dog. Oh, he got too much. Look at that. Look at that. How, look how fucking high he jumps. I mean, how high is he? That's like 20 feet in the air. What the fuck? Wow. How does an animal jump 20 feet in the air? Oh, it's like these get, things get are owner, man. fucking ferocious, man. And they're so athletic. Like, look at this. Look at this dog leap. It's climbing a fucking wall. Climbs a fucking wall. Jumps off of his owner's back and climbs like 20 feet up a fucking wall and scrambles to the top. I mean, what the hell, man? You imagine if you're on top of that thing and you're like, I'm safe up here. <laughs> Shit, this is like 20 feet. And you see that thing running up the hill? Look at that with its mouth open. Why can it do that? It can do that in, in place of killing things. Right. Because it needs, it needs stimulation, like wow. hunt-type stimulation. It needs something to initiate that prey drive over and over again. So if you can get it to chase a ball or run or grab a walk across a tightrope, it'll do that. But really what it wants to do is kill, kill shit. Right. It wants to go kill shit. That's, that's a little a, wolf. That's a pacifier right yeah. now. That's a fucking wolf. Damn, damn, damn. Damn, damn, damn. Look, my mission back in the days when I used to go overseas was to break that motherfucking beagle. Because that beagle used to be waiting on us when we come through the airport. Smelling like that good dope. Oh. And that motherfucker comes stand right next to a motherfucker. When he stand next to you, they call you out the line and run through all your bags. So I had to figure out how to break this motherfucker. I took a little class on beagles. <laughs> so next time I went overseas, little motherfucker pulled up on me. And he looked at me, and he was like, and I gave him a little signal. He said, no, not him. And he went still next to another motherfucker. And that was a beautiful thing, and I learned how to break the beagle. Y'all hit me up if y'all want to learn how to break that beagle when y'all go overseas. Because that motherfucker's ferocious. He going to smell some old dope on you. He's going to take you in that back room, man, that little bitty black dog. Watch out now. Yeah, if you go overseas, they have totally different rules. If you get arrested with weed in, like, Singapore, you're in real fucking trouble. How about one country you can't even smell like weed? Really? You can't even have it in your system. What country is that? Norway. Really? Norway? Zero tolerance. Norway for weed? Yes. That seems absurd. They seem like, I, when I think of Norway, I think of, like, open-minded, logical people. Yeah, the women and the people. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> but as far as... <laughs> The lawmakers, not the politicians. Yeah, no, nah, they ain't with that shit. That's really? zero, zero tolerance in Norway. So it's completely illegal. I went over there, motherfuckers. Had a concert. As soon as I got off stage, we're on a tour bus, and my tour bus driver driving. He just pull over to the side of the road. We're like, what the fuck? He pull over for? Two police officers in a little ass car get on the bus and come right to me and say, "You need to come with us." I'm like, huh? You need to come with us. So the car is so little, 
can't nobody ride with me. So I got to ride with them to the police station. They tell me, either you're going to give us some blood or you're going to pee in a cup. Ooh. But we need to see if you got any drugs in your system. So I pee in a cup, do the show, come back like maybe six months later. This time when I come back, they like, they pull me and my cousin over on the side of the road and just draw down on us, like, you under arrest. I'm like, damn, I just got here. You had a dirty test last time you was here, you under arrest. Put me in the car, arrest me, take me down to the station, make me pee in the cup again, and then ask for a picture and let me go. Whoa. Imagine how traumatically shocked I was. I needed to smoke one after that. (laughs) (laughs) What country was that? Norway. Norway, really? I would have never imagined they would be so hardcore. Oh, yeah. I would imagine Norway would be pretty, like, I, I, you know, it's like, I think of all those people, I think of, like, Holland. Yeah. They, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Netherlands is I know they're not close to each other, but I'm an ignorant American. Netherlands is lovely. You don't have no problems over there. They don't even got, po- look, they police cars so little. Somebody was following this paparazzi, and we stopped to take a picture and then all of a sudden a dude rolled by on the bike and my driver hit him with the, on the bike, boom. And he didn't get hurt, but he, he he laid all out in front of the van like he was fucked up. So then my security was like, hey man, you gotta move, we gotta go. You ain't that hurt, get your ass out the street. Yeah. So the dude got up and then my security pushed him. And when he pushed him, the police was coming. Police pulled up in the car about this big and my security is like six, nine, 450 pounds. So they looked at my security and the police said, okay, you drive yourself to the police station and we're going to follow y'all because you can't fit in our car. So he had to, we had to drive him to the police station to write up a little report on him pushing the lady. And then they let him go. So there's no crime over there. There's no police cars. The police didn't even have a gun. We didn't even have, we could have just drove off if we wanted to. We just was, it was so funny to us that we had to drive ourselves <laughs> to jail. We just did the shit like, fuck it, come on, let's go. <sighs> oh. What country is the easiest to smoke weed in? Amsterdam. That's the easiest, right? Yes, sir. Well, they're, they're kind of, it's part of their tourism industry. It really is. The coffee shops. Yeah. We used to be the tourism industry of Vancouver. Vancouver was the shit. Right? Before the pandemic. It was the shit. Yeah, particularly before the pandemic. The B.C., they had that B.C. I mean, their whole economy is in some way based on weed. Gotta be. I mean, there's so much weed that came out of that part of the country. There was that um, the documentary, The Union. Mm-hmm. And um, it's all about that, all about the the underbelly of like things that finance businesses and stuff in that area. It's people growing weed. Man, my first movie was shot in Vancouver. Really? I had to stay out there for like five or six months. It's called Jimmy Bones. And I was getting so much good weed out there. I lived out there. It was so good. It was like, you know, when you're shooting a movie, you can fly back home. I'm like, shit, I didn't even fly home. I just stayed out there. That shit was good. And this was like 1999. And I don't even think it was, uh, it wasn't federally legal, but we were still getting that shit. Yeah, they, they're totally legal now. The whole country of Canada is legal. It's like they make good choices and bad choices. <laughs> but the whole country is completely, uh, marijuana is completely legal. And they give you free health care. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to pay for it, right? But, yeah, it's free. 
that's that's one hundred percent something that we need to figure out how to do in the country, like America, as big as it is. Let's figure that out. And I think we could do it through selling weed. Right. That's what I think. Right. Make weed legal federally and put a percentage of the tax that goes straight to health care. We have everybody covered quick. Cause in, if weed was legal nationwide. Well, look, in Denver, Colorado, what they did when they started, they took some of their taxes and put it towards education. That's a good move. Which was a great move. And then the crime rate went down. The education is going up. And then Denver, Colorado finances just, you know, grew the whole whole state, the whole, you know, situation has grown. Do you think that they should legalize everything? All drugs? Well, I said let's start with, with cannabis first. I don't think all until you figure out what's the benefits, what's the health benefits. We found the health benefits to marijuana, so that's why I feel like we should roll with that first until we find, you know, what the other ones mean and can do to help then we move into those because marijuana been fighting for a long time. It used to be the outcast. Yeah, you know, it used to always be the outcast. That you smoke weed, you you a bad person. You this, you that. Now it's like shit. You finding out that some of the greatest motherfuckers in the world couldn't move without weed. So are we bad? <laughs> yeah, weed just gets a bad rap. Right. It get it, weed got a bad rap. People didn't really know what it does. And they kept making all those bad movies about it fucking you up as opposed to the yeah. Cheech and Chong movie showing you how much fun you can have <laughs> off of that shit. Yeah, well, it has a, such a long history of propaganda against it. You know, What but, was the first movie they made talking about it? Reefer Madness. Yeah, yeah. that black and white movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was a few of those, though. There was Marijuana Girl, Reefer Madness. I have a bunch of uh, vintage posters from these movies. How do they, they feel now? It's just... They're just framed, framed posters. It's just you, you look at, like, what they were selling back then. Right. Calling it, you know. I told you, though, remember the media is controlled by whoever's in control. So yeah. So whatever they pushing, they made it very scary for parents and then kids. But at the same mm -hmm. time, what they didn't know was when you put that kind of shit out, you made kids want to do the shit. Right. Exactly. You didn't deter nobody. You made motherfuckers want to go try it. Yeah. Exactly. You tell people they don't have the access to something they're not allowed to do something they want to do it so bad boy boy do we boy do we <laughs> we don't like people telling us what the fuck to do yeah. especially when it comes to something like weed and you know people could say that weed is uh you know weed makes you lazy or weed is bad for you or weed is like no life life provides you with all sorts of challenges and if you're lazy and weed comes along, weed just found you when you're lazy. Mm -hmm. You're not lazy. You smoke weed all the time. You're constantly involved in shit. Somebody put up an Instagram post. God damn, I wish I remember who it is. But it was like all these obscure things that you're constantly doing. You're always doing something. You never stop. You can't doing, stop, won't stop. I yeah, can't you're doing stop, won't stop. So, so much shit. The many faces of Snoop Dogg. I love it. Everything is fine, Joe. Shit, I'm it, like... I'm that's what it fun. looks like. That's I'm what it looks fun, like. You man. you seem like, an, in a world where people become increasingly tense, you seem like a person who's more relaxed and has more fun every year. And, and, and I get to teach people, too. That's like, I'm at the point in my career now that where I got a lot of information and wisdom and guidance, and I can give this to the young up and coming, and I love that part of, of, of the industry, that I can actually give you some information as opposed to me just having fun for me. But actually having fun is an example for you. Mm, 100%. Because we imitate our atmosphere. Mm -hmm. 
If we see someone who's tense and angry and that's who we, who we like, a guy who has no love and he's just hard and cold, and that's, that's who we admire, or we see someone who's just having a great time with a smile on his face, dancing around, moving, just I feeling want, it. I want people to smile when I walk in the room. Yes. When you see me, I want smiles and hugs. I don't want grabbing your purse, locking your doors. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I used to be that. I used to be that guy when... I pulled up, you know, people looked the other way, locking their doors, you know. Now it's like hugs, kisses, can I have a picture? I love you. <laughs> My kids love you. All that great shit, and I love it because that's who I am. I come in with a smile. I come in being yes. the life of the party. I don't come in this motherfucker sad or mad. I come in happy, upbeat. Yeah. No, you come in with all love. You can feel it. That's You're a fun raised. dude. That's how I was raised, yo, you know. That's beautiful. You get it from up top. You know, the people that raise you are the reason you are who you are. So here's my point. You are completely connected to marijuana. You're one of the nicest people alive. There's a connection, obviously. Right. Why the fuck do people demonize marijuana when it's capable of creating a Snoop Dogg? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they just got to have an open mind, yo. You know how it is, like. People had bad things to say about alcohol until you understood that it could, you know, really set the mode. It could yeah. really have conversations. It could really do what it's supposed to do. So until we actually, you know, understand what it does, we're going to always have skepticism and people going to have opinions about it. But those who do it know what it means. We one nation under a bud. And we all <laughs> move together. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. It's well, united, though, right? When you yes. find people that smoke, don't y'all just have such a great time? Yeah, it's easier to have a great time if y'all smoke. I think uh, people who smoke are just a, a, a little more, uh, they, when they're high, they're a little more compassionate. Look, I'm going to give you a story, man. We was doing the fucking Justin Bieber roast, and I'm sitting next to Martha Stewart. Shout out to Tony Hinchcliffe. Right, he's my motherfucker. I love that. He's dude. my motherfucker. So we're doing that, and Martha's <laughs> sitting right next to me. I know her, but I don't know her like that. I've done her show before, but I don't really know her like that. So I'm smoking like I am right now. I'm probably on, like, blunt number 17. <laughs> she catching all the secondhand smoke. She fucked up by now. So we uh. like, so my boy Jeff Ross, he uh. like, fuck this shit, Snoop. You sitting way over there. I need to hit something with you. All right, cool. Next commercial break, me and Jeff Ross going to motherfucking Potter Port with a little potty thing that they got. You know, when you <laughs> one dude was yeah. being there peeing, me and Jeff went that motherfucking blew a whole motherfucking blunt to the head. <laughs> And came back out, and it was the funniest oh. shit ever, man. Like, and then me and Martha Stewart became friends and started doing business out of that. So this motherfucking marijuana, yeah, is a beautiful culmination of relationships. Because who would have thought that that day would have spawned all of the shit that me and Martha Stewart has done? Yeah, since then, so much shit. And it's fun to see me yeah. and her together, right? Oh, it's very fun. It's a, it's, it's a cross-generational, cross-cultural love fest. Yeah, but it don't feel like it's no. forced, right? No, not at all. No, it's perfect. But it's who would have thought? Who would have thought, thought, though, Joe? Come on now. Yeah, who would have thought? Come on, yeah. man. Snoop and Martha? Yeah, I know. Now the shit just sound like, hey, it's Snoop and Martha. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Try this shit on seven years ago. What the fuck is you talking about Snoop and Martha? I know, right? It's amazing. But that's the world we live in. That's why I say... If that can happen, imagine how many people with her are Democrats and Republicans. Same with me. Right. But when we're together, that shit don't matter. Yeah. 
You get what I'm saying? Certain yeah. times when you get together, you can break all of the politics and just make it be about love and people. A hundred percent. And that's what it should be about. When you're around people and you just communicate eye to eye, face to, eight, to face with people, that's who a real person is. This idea of communication through uh, the internet, through social media and all the shit that people are doing, it just creates so much conflict. It's so unnecessary in so many ways, the way people communicate with each other. It's like people get off on like uh, insulting each other and like but if you were right in front of a person you would never talk like that, right? Nope. It would be it would be rude. You would feel they're being upset. You would pull back, you'd right. feel bad that you said it that way. Like that's how people are supposed to talk. You're supposed to take cues off the people that you're talking to. Right. And this is uh you know, it's a great time and it's also a confusing time. So much crazy shit is going on in the world, but it's also a time where when things get really like tumultuous and all fucked up and chaotic People can be forced to make new plans mm -hmm. and to work through things better That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. I'm hoping culturally we come out of this on the other side with like a, a, a better understanding of how we can Function as a society. I think we're gonna adapt to our environment because yeah. even when I see like well my grandkids, right? I got six grandkids, and all of my grandkids are mixed, meaning that they have an African-American background. Some of them have a Caucasian background. Some of them have a Latino background. Some of them have a Colombian background. But they're mixed, and they love me, and I love them, and we're putting a new love in the world, and I see a lot of mixed couples and mixed babies, and they don't have nothing but love for people. And if the world is moving in that direction with my grandkids and just kids in general, because kids are the purest people in the world. Yeah. And when they're young and they're kids, they just know how to love. And it's all about them learning what you teach them. So if they learn it on their own now and they learn how to communicate and network and they spread love, we ain't got to worry about nothing. Because the generation that we're living in now, they know how to love each other. They're, they're certainly learning. And I think having a guy like you around that has that message is great for everybody it's great for everybody it's great for young people to see a guy who's successful and loved and is friendly and loving and wants people to just have a good fucking time that's your thing i mean if, if anybody wanted to connect anything to what is snoop dogg all about snoop dogg is all about having a good fucking time everything all your videos everything you do all your songs you're having a good fucking time that's, that's what that's what you promote and it makes people feel good. It's like you're you're an uh, you're an engine of of fun times, you know. That's what you've been doing your whole life. Man, it's a love thing. I had the pleasure of uh, <clears throat> talking with James Brown for like three hours one night. Wow! Just like me and you sitting at the table right here. Holy shit! And just to get the information and then I'm looking at him in his face the whole conversation, just like. He like, you know, Snoopy, he talking to me, and I'm like, I'm in this motherfucker with James Brown, cuz. Right? Like, you can't believe it's real. But the things that he was saying to me, this is like years ago. I'm seeing them right now. It's like for someone to have that vision of you being what you're supposed to be, mm -hmm. being all of that person that God made you. James seen this version of Snoop Dogg like 20 years ago. And he was telling me how this is what you need to be doing. This is what you're going to be doing. And mm. This is how you're going to change the world. And you're going to be the most loved. And you're going to be this. Because at that time, I wasn't loved as much. And I wasn't on the favorable side. I was still coming out of negative energy. So 
he was just blessing me with the strength of knowing that I guess he felt like I was about to do what he was doing because now I feel like I'm the hardest working man in show business and he was always the hardest working man in show business and he had to pass it to somebody like me that could run on when he went home. It's hard to it's hard to like really clearly it, you'd have to live in the time of James Brown in his prime to understand there was nothing like him before him. Like when James Brown did that concert in Zaire wow. before Muhammad Ali fought there. Wow. Dude. Wow. That is one of the wildest concerts. <sighs> James Brown in Zaire. Just dancing, moving, and the power and the way. Like there was no one like him before him. We've all seen people that were influenced by the early greats. But when it comes to a guy like James Brown, you got to go back to like a Hoist Gracie type deal. Mm -hmm. You look at him, you're like, one, okay, one. one just emerges just a one like on one. this. And then a lot of other people kind of like they might imitate styles and they, they might be influenced by. Mm -hmm. But when a guy just pops out of nowhere, get up, get on up. I mean, come on. Yeah. Come on. Live session. You know, the big payback. Now. Da -da. Look at him. Look at him up there. And when he was in his fucking prime, he was just a ball of energy. And look yeah, the way look he would fucking shit. dance while he was singing. I mean, it's, nobody does this. Jamie, back that up just from the very beginning. Who the fuck comes out and like does a this. show like this? This is how he goes on stage, takes his jacket off, and starts moving, spinning, Drops to a split. How about the mic moving by itself? <laughs> I'm gonna let the mic do what the fuck it do while I drop down and hit exactly. this split. Look at him. I mean, this is James Brown in Zaire before a Muhammad Ali fight. James, this was Brown. when Ali fought Foreman, right? Right, Rumble in the Jungle. It was Foreman. Yeah. George Clinton said uh, <laughs> he came to James Brown one night after the concert and said, James. Hit, hit, hit one of them splits for me. And he said, James hit 16 in a row. And they looked at George and said, now you hit one. And George <laughs> left. <laughs> and so that nigga hit 16 in a row? Oh, Can you imagine him doing 16 of those back-to-back? Lock lock That was part of what he did, man. He was a dynamo. Like, it's it's hard to... Look at his hair, man. Oh, he got everything. his chest out, man. Well, onesie on with no draws. Come on, man. So you can't overstate it. You can't wear no draws doing splits like that. Yeah, the, I mean, he had to have special Yeah, Look at James look chest at out records and tapes. He was like an athlete that also was an amazing singer. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was like yeah. when you would watch him dance, that's, that's cardio moves. That's my oh, cardio. for sure. And he's singing. And there's no lip syncing back then. What, He's the, singing the track that. wasn't playing and him singing on top mm -hmm. of it. That was all him right here, all right now. All him. All him right there. They didn't have that kind of technology back then. That was James Brown being James Brown. There's those guys that like pop out out of nowhere that are one of ones. Hey, the funk made the funk move on. Shout yeah. out to my boy DJ Warren G. Just had a birthday a couple of days ago. Warren G is responsible for Snoop Dogg getting his record deal. Is it really? Yeah, Warren G was the one who took my music to Dr. Dre. He was always the voice and the producer behind the scenes, making a lot of hit records on the Chronic album. He also produced Regulate, wrote Regulate, made a lot of hit records for himself. And um, his first album was like a three million seller. And 
You know what I'm saying? I helped him with one song on there, and Corrupt helped him with a song, and he went and knocked that shit out the park. And You know, it's beautiful when you got people that look out for you, that speak up for you to get you in the game, and then turn around, and then they become successful. That's the beauty yeah. of this game. That is a beautiful thing. And it also creates a camaraderie, and they'll do it to the people that are coming up that they recognize as well. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, it's like we were talking about the East Coast, West, West Coast thing. It, the fact that it was resolved and now is, I mean, would you say it's non-existent? It does not exist. Non-existent. I just, I just, I'm on Def Jam Records, right? I'm a creative consultant executive. And just to let you know that it, it don't exist no more, I'm going to announce on your show that I just signed Benny the Butcher, and he is one of the hardest rappers about of Buffalo, New York. So that's showing that there is no more beautiful line, lines to be crossed. We are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Benny the Butcher, the butcher's coming. That's a legitimately good sign, like uh, for for culture that that things have gotten better. Mm-hmm. If you think about the 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 stuff that's gotten better, climate change, not really. The environment, sorta, you know, marijuana laws, yeah. sorta, kinda, it, yeah. But that is one thing that you can say, yeah, they figured that out. Yeah, we got it right. Yeah. We got it right, and we love each other. And there's a lot of East Coast rappers who live on the West Coast. You, you know why? Because no politicians were involved in those transactions. Right. It was just us. <laughs> right? And it was everybody's like, why are we doing this stupid shit? It, it don't add up. It didn't make any sense. No. I mean, how many fucking rappers are there? There's so many people that want to hear hip-hop. There's plenty for everybody. We're better when we're together. Absolutely. And that happened a Absolutely. lot. A lot of times, like, we did tours together where artists would go on the road together. We did one big tour in Australia. It was like a super fest. It was me, The Game, Fat Joe, Nelly, um, Busta Rhymes, Bow Wow, um, Sierra. It was a a few others out there too, but it was just so much that I just named that was so for so many different parts of the world and we were in Australia. And I swear to you, we bonded and became brothers. And to this day, to this day, we love each other. And we talk about that experience that we had in Australia where we all became one. Mm. Beautiful. Hip-hop is beautiful, man. That is beautiful. It's 50 years old this year. Is it really? Yeah, 50 years old, hip-hop. I remember when I first heard Sugar Hill Gang. I was in uh, Jamaica Plain, which is like a... So like a, it's on the outskirts of Boston, and I was in, I guess I was in eighth grade because it was before high school, mm. and we were in the cafeteria, and some dude had, it was a, it wasn't a good school, and a lot of kids were like barely hanging on. The beginning of the year, you'd have kids that were like, I was in, you know, I guess I was in eighth grade, and you'd have kids that were seventeen in eighth grade, mm. like no bullshit. Like there was a kid who was fully grown. I was like, "Why is he here?" And he was there for a couple of days. And you could see him like shaking his head in the back of the room, yeah. and he would drop out and he would leave. So it wasn't a good school. Mm. But you heard Sugar Hill Gang. So but I was in the fucking cafeteria and I heard a hip hop, a hip to the hip to hip hop, and I was like, "What is that? This that is a new bang. kind of music." That shit used to bang. I love. It was I, a new kind of music. It was so good that everybody in the hood learned every word to that song. Of course. And that's, you know, no videos, no Instagram, no right. YouTube word. Right. You just learned it because it was that fucking good. It spread. Right. It spread by word of mouth. And if you didn't know it, you were uncool. Yeah. If that shit came on and you didn't know it. Man, the record companies had some power back then, huh? 
They made you. They could decide. They could decide who they could push through. Do you know how much fucking rock music that I know? Because <laughs> I grew up in the 80s. Like Journey and yeah. Fleetwood Mac and motherfucking um, the Eagles. Just all kind of groups that you wouldn't expect me to know because that's all we had prior mm -hmm. to hip-hop. You know, because yeah. hip-hop wasn't on the radio like that because it was new. And right. Like, We're not going to let that shit be on the radio. We're going to put all, I want to know what love is. <laughs> all this shit. <laughs> I want you to show me. Wow. <laughs> I remember listening to NWA for the first time on a treadmill. <laughs> the first time I heard NWA, <laughs> I'm not bullshitting that. I went to the gym and I had to do my workout and uh, I put a, I, I don't know if it was a CD or a cassette. <laughs> I think it was a CD. And I put it on, and because someone told me to get, dude, you got to get this. This shit's wild. And I, I was running on a treadmill, and I was like, whoa. I was like, this is okay. And it was sonically together, right? The oh sound god. of it, right? Oh, my God. It was amazing. Dr. The, Dre the raps were amazing. Like, Dre made you feel like you was watching a movie when you listened to that shit. Mm -hmm. Ice Cube's lyrics. It was like, Hard. my God. That was uh, my introduction to, like, Hardcore gangster rap, and then I got involved. I really got into the Ghetto Boys. Oh, they! I was, was the a shit. giant Ghetto Boys fan. They was. The He's shit. another dude. Willie D is another dude. When I'm around him, where I kind of like, I kind of fanboy. And he's like, so cool. Ain't he? He's the coolest, right? He's the coolest. He's so cool. But I, w I was listening to them while I was delivering newspapers. <laughs> I was delivering newspapers out of my car, throwing newspapers out the window, listening to the Ghetto Boys. And to like to hang out with him. I've had like I've eaten dinner with his family. I'm like, I can't believe I'm really here. Mr. Mr. Scarface. Yeah, he's got a podcast he does now with Scarface. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's really good. Look, Willie's a smart motherfucker and he's really he he looks at things from all sorts of different angles. Yeah. He'll look at things from the side. He'll look at things. He and got he, wisdom too. Yes. He's not a young man, yes. so you know when you when you got that information and that that knowledge, you know, you got a different perspective. And that fucking dude can box. Oh yeah, I seen that. He can box. Did he knock Melly Mel out? Yeah, but I mean, he could really box. He showed me one of his amateur fights, and I, I watched uh, like him move around. Like they he thought Melly Mel was gonna win, you know, because Melly Mel came in there with muscles and. You it's know. not like Willie D didn't. It's not like he didn't have muscles. No, but Melly Mel just. Ripped, I understand. You know what I'm saying? You know when you perspective, it's right. It's, it's optics. Oh yeah, for sure. That's optics show the, shows the that, UFC. Right, right. That was uh, Chemo and Hoist Gracie. Right. Chemo was gigantic. What remember? Yeah. Oh my God. But that's the same thing. But but for real, Willie can fight. Like he can really box. Like I've seen him move around. I've seen him uh, tag some dude and light him up. And I was like, whoa. Like a professional boxer. If somebody said to me, like, hey, there's a guy coming up. He's, uh, he's out of Houston, Texas. He's a bad motherfucker. Keep an eye on him. And I watched that video. I'd be like, ooh, that dude's scary. Like, th but that's Willie, mm -hmm. the rapper. Right. That's what's crazy. Throw Here's him right here. Throw them dude, things, he's he fucking did. good, man. He hit that motherfucker so hard, he almost fell. Yeah. Dude. This is, the, this is the Melly Mel fight. But there's another one that he had sent me that I don't even think, it, it might not even be online, so I can't put it online. See, Melly anyway, Mel ain't never done We don't want to punish Melly Mel, Melly Mel with the... Uh, no, that's the OG hip-hop. He hip -hop. need to see this no, again. No, no, no. But Respect the point, to OG Melly it's Mel. It's not about him. It's about the, the skill of Willie. Right, he's, right. He's a really, he can really, he can really box. Like, if he, want, if he had decided to, he, would, he could have been a professional boxer. Legitimately. I I feel like that about Wiz Khalifa. Like when I first met Wiz, 
I was like, I could beat Wiz up easy. <laughs> now, Wiz would beat my ass. Because he know all kind of jujitsu and kicks and all kind of shit. So, Well, he really got into hitting Muay Thai pads. Man, like Wiz is a bad motherfucker. And I'm so fucking proud of him. And he know as his uncle that that shit, you know, he inspires me. Like, And I need that in my life. I need, you know, people like him to inspire me to want to keep living and to want to keep being healthy. Yeah. Well, he has even been talking about having an MMA fight. I don't think he's going to do bad. I think he's going to be all right. I bet he'll be off. As long as he's matched up well, he'll do fine. Find he's, some celebrity yeah. talking shit. Let's match him up. <laughs> Start him off with a celebrity. Fuck that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Who would you get? Who do you think Who do you think you could lure into your trap? Yeah, who you, Who can you get? Now, I'm not bullshitting. Like, Wiz can actually fight. Like, you watch Wiz kick the pads and watch, watch Wiz hit some things. I don't know if this is an older one. This is real old. This is old way one. more bigger than that. Yeah, this is old. See if you can find one that's more recent. Wiz is like, God damn it, I just started. Joe, did you see that kick I did? When I, um, I did a, a high-ass kick in my gym one time with my trainer, Ernie. Yeah? I know you're going to find that. Find that Snoop Dogg <laughs> Shogun kick. So how often are you training? Well, I'm getting back on now. I'm going to do five days a week. Oh, really? Yeah, I do. Do you have someone that trains you? Do you yeah. work out by yourself? Right here, my man Ernie. You don't know Ernie? He got that, that, that kick coming. Ain't, ain't the kick up in there? <laughs> it's a it look, this yeah, looks like yeah. he's only uh, holding mitts. Oh, this, is this, this you? This my move right here. Yes, sir. <laughs> Flying sidekick. Come on, Joe. I hear you. That's on the first time. That's what, I ain't practicing. He just told me when you jump, put your leg this way and do that. This is just muscle memory on knowing how to be athletic. Just learning how to do something like that is great for your brain anyway wow. because it's hard to do. Because I used to always watch karate movies and be yeah. like, I wish I could jump. He said, you want to learn how to do that? I said, yeah. He said, all you got to do is run and put this leg back. I said, like that? I said, do it in slow motion. You know, somebody pulled that off in a UFC fight? I seen that. It was uh, Fabricio Verdum <laughs> versus Travis Brown. Fabricio Verdum opened the fight. He ran out and did a flying sidekick to Travis's face. And good night, Irene. No, he, he he survived it, but he got beat up <laughs> afterwards. But this was crazy. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, dude, just back it up again. Damn. Right from the beginning, he comes running out. Watch this. Boom. Oh. Flying sidekick to the face. Oh, I just said it. That's how you get shit kicked yeah. off. That's yeah. how you get Look shit kicked guy. off. I mean, that is crazy. That's literally how you get shit kicked off. The thing about it is no one would expect that from Fabricio because he's a jujitsu expert. But that was hard. He yeah. must have watched my motherfucking video. Fabricio, <laughs> stop watching me. <laughs> Fabricio was the UFC champ. Yes, sir. He's, he's a fucking beast. His jujitsu is off the charts. He's one of the greatest heavyweights of all time. You look at what he's done. That guy tapped out. Cain Velasquez, uh, Fedor Emelianenko. Uh, who else did he tap out? He's tapped out a bunch of like super legit guys. Wow. Yeah. So he's a he's a one. Yeah. Who else did he tap out? He's tapped out quite a few guys. Oh, uh, Brandon Vera. He dominated Brandon Vera. He had like there was a bunch of fights where Fabricio, when he was in his prime, was just dominating people. Joe, I got a couple questions for you. What's your favorite cereal of all time? Um, maybe uh, Captain Crunch. Me too. Yeah, but very or regular. Um, I think regular. 
Barry's cool too. I'm not <laughs> mad if you got Barry. <laughs> you know, isn't there a peanut butter Captain yeah, Crunch too? Yeah, they got that oh, too. I think I would always go for that. Yeah. I, I'm a peanut butter fiend. Okay. I like peanut butter. What's your favorite cartoon of all time? Oh man, I guess, I guess Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, because I grew up with that. What's up, Doc? Like, when I was a kid, like, Bugs Bunny was full of action. A lot of shit was happening. People were getting shot in the face. I like the you rabbit kicked the bucket. The <laughs> rabbit kicked the bucket. The rabbit kicked the bucket. Yeah. I mean, it was a hunter that I was always literally trying to kill Bugs Bunny, and he was so clever that he was relaxed was around Was that Yosemite Sam? Uh, no, that was uh, Elmer Fudd. Elmer Fudd was Elmer Fudd him? was the hunter, yeah. Yosemite Sam was like... Uh, I think he was a miner or some shit, wasn't he? Elmer Fudd was the dumb motherfucker. With, he was the gun guy. Yeah, and he always yeah. gets shot in his own exactly. goddamn face. His face would be covered <laughs> in powder and gunpowder. But like, it's you know rabbit that, season. Do you know that that's what the gun community calls people that only buy guns for hunting? They call them fuds. For real? Yeah, because the gun community is filled with gun dorks. And they only respect you if you're like super hardcore knowledgeable about gun <laughs> shit, like velocity and what is a six five worth anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, which what do you hunt elk with? Three hundred wind mag and like they have like <laughs> what, how many grains of fucking is your bullets? And they, they get and so when people don't care about that, when people are are only into guns for hunting and they're not into like all the specifics and they're not into like you know pistol fucking competitions and shit, they call them fud. Mm, Elmer's nephews. Yeah, because it's like the Second Amendment is divided, just like everything is divided. There's people that want the guns just for hunting, and there's people that want the guns for personal protection. Right. So it's like everything else. Even in uh, the the world of guns, people turn on each other. (laughs) (laughs) They call each other names. What would you expect? They're a bunch of fuds. These fucking losers over there that only want guns for meat. And that's the National Rifle. Yeah. Well, they're just trying to, I mean, I get what they're trying to do. They feel like there's a, there's a not-so-hidden agenda where people want to take away the right of regular people to have guns. And what they're saying is you got to look at all the countries where that happens. It's never good for the population. Right. It's just not. It's just not. No, you got to be able to protect yourself. You got to be able to protect yourself. You can't. You can't count on the police to be there all the time. Oh, not you in our neighborhood. Fuck yeah, all that. Exactly. So in the hood, we with the shit. Keep guns in our motherfucking hands. Well, you know, Killer Mike had a lot of good conversations with Bernie Sanders about that. Oh yeah, Mike is sharp. He's very sharp, and Bernie Sanders is obviously very anti-gun. You know, Bernie would want to enact gun. You know, some sort of sweeping gun regulations, but the reality of the access, the amount of guns that are available, there's no fucking way you're going to keep guns away from people nope. that are willing to break the law. Yeah. There's no way. They're, they're a useful tool, and there's too many of them. So the only solution is let anybody have a gun. Right. Let, you, let, let people have access if they can prove to be uh, mentally... Com- yep. Yeah, they're, they're mentally competent. They can, you know, and, and what does he, that even mean? Because you could have a doctor who's just uh, an anti-gun activist who decides they're going to say everyone's crazy and no one can have a license. Mm-hmm. You can manipulate that. Easy. But the, the, the thing is, like, it sounds wrong, but it ultimately, this is what our founding fathers thought. you got to let people be free to make the choices they want to make. And if you don't do that, oh. you're going to 
you're gonna fuck it up for everybody. They got We got to figure out what's right and what's wrong. Is it, if is if it's wrong for everybody to have a gun, we have to figure out a way to make people safe, and it's not gonna be through uh, law enforcement. It's there's gonna be a way where as a community we have to figure out how to come together. Mm. Like if you're gonna go to house to house and take everybody's guns, you can't do that in America. It's too late. You maybe could have done that like the way they did it to Australia. Right. Like Australia in the 1990s, they took away everybody's guns after they had a mass shooting. Mm. But there's too many guns in America. So mm. this, the strategy's got to be let's get everybody, at least try right. to get everybody to be more polite more and kind to each other. More, more responsible. More responsible with your yeah. not, not like seek out division. No. You know, not enforce division. Have it for protection if needed. Yeah. Walks off and carry a big stick. That's usually what I do. <laughs> we just need the whole country on a slight drip of ecstasy. Just a <laughs> subtle microdose drip, you know? The Give feeling that people have when they just are all just filled with love, they don't want any problems. I'm and have sorry. some ADM music playing in the background. Yeah. Exactly. Not overwhelming, just like you're on the outside of a festival. You're out by where the, the porta potties are, like that level of music. Yeah, coming up next, <laughs> we got, got Marshmallow, followed by <laughs> David Getter. <sighs> Make it fun. Yeah. Make it exciting. Make it exciting. What's the biggest crowd you've ever performed in front of? Live Eight. How big was that? Probably like, uh, like three, four hundred thousand. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Oh. Yes, sir. Three or four hundred thousand human beings. Yeah, Live Eight in London. Holy Snow shit. Mm -hmm. What does that feel like? You know what? When I'm on stage, I'm I'm in a, in a zone. So I'm like. I, I pay attention to them, but I lock into me. Right. Meaning that I become somebody else. So I'm always engaged with them, but I'm I'm so into what I'm doing at that time. I I can't look at all of them people because that should have thrown me off. Right. Yeah, I know what you mean. It it seems like it gets uh, the the larger the crowds get, it gets to like a, almost like it stabilizes where there's the same feeling. 10,000 is the same feeling as 20,000, right? 500. Look at the size of that crowd, though. Oh, I couldn't handle that. <laughs> That's so big. That's Live Aid. This is Live Aid in London? Yeah. Wow. 2005. Oh, my God. That's Charlie Wilson from the Gap Band up there with me. This crowd, if you're just listening, this crowd is like, man, what... I want to see a, a vision of the crowd yeah, again. Yeah, right there, right there. Oh, that, <laughs> this crowd, this crowd is like eight football fields long. <laughs> <laughs> it is so big. It's so big. It's so big. It doesn't even make sense. And this is 2005. Like, what kind, did they have any kind of monitors where the people could watch that were in the way, way, way back, or, or are they just hearing it? Mm, that's a good question. Because it doesn't look like they got any, mo oh, okay, behind them, but that's just visuals. So they, they have to, like, use binoculars and shit. Jamie, go right back for a couple seconds. Look at that screen. one dude with the golf shirt, with the tan golf shirt, <laughs> on the left side of the screen. He's like, what the fuck am I doing here? Ah. That bald dad looking dude. 
And he's like, Jesus Christ, what is this? I didn't pay for this shit. Who's getting he's on next? argument right now with his girlfriend. He's like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Look at his face. <laughs> Look at the old school selfie, though. <laughs> yeah, old school. You have to put a camera in front of your own face. Look how crazy this is. This is the biggest crowd I've ever seen. What's the biggest crowd that, well, no. Um, when Be Real was on, and he was telling us about... Uh, what was it? Woodstock? The net the, that second Woodstock they did? Yeah, nineteen ninety. That that was like Woodstock. half a million. Remember yeah. that? He showed the pictures of that. Glassenberry was big too. I did How that big with is the, that with the gorillas. Pull that up. Glassenberry. Uh Life of the Plastic Beach. Did the gorillas did they have their animation yep. going on in the back? Yeah. Oh my god. Is that it? Holy fuck. Oh my God! Snoop Pyramids! Snoop oh my God! Look Snoop Dogg has been on one, Joe. I, I, oh I'd be forgetting. I'd be forgetting about this shit, Joe, because it's like Michael Jordan. He didn't get to watch his highlights until he was finished with his career. I still got some more games to play, so it's kind of hard to watch these highlights. But back up and watch that. Back up and watch. Let me see that again. But a little bit before that, that. right there. That's it. Play it from there. What the fuck, dude? What the fuck? That shit don't even look real. It looks like ten. Football fields long, but see if you notice, see how calm I am up there. Like yeah. I'm not, like I'm not letting that make me so like. Uh, 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 well, in pocket. You do have a diamond encrusted apparatus around your microphone that says Snoop Dogg <laughs> on it. That gives you a little confidence. Hold Fuck on. Thanos, my motherfucking go back to the piano player. <laughs> Fuck, was... hold on, let me see that thing. Fuck Thanos, look at that. <laughs> Fuck, fuck Thanos' glove. Look at, what would you even call that? A mic cover? Like, when you buy that shit from your jeweler, what do you, how, do you, uh, how do you order one of those? That's, that's a part of my microphone. That's like, hilarious. you can just sit the microphone down and all that shit is Who one made that for you? A jeweler? Yeah, King Ice. And I put my oh hands my around it like a ring. So yeah. it's like. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> so the whole, so they can see me. From everywhere. See that's, my, see my, band, my piano player? Yes. He more into it than anybody. Oh, yeah. Look at him. <laughs> that is the craziest crowd I've ever seen. That and, uh, like I said, would, oh, would be real footage. Oh, right here. I did Glass and Berry by myself, but I did one with the uh, Gorillas. Too. How old were you when you hit? 1991. I was 20. 20. How hard was it to just like maintain your sanity while you were becoming insanely famous? It was slow. It wasn't fast. It wasn't fast? No, because the attention was on Dr. Dre and we was just like mm. pieces around him because he was leaving in WA. Right. So he was the one getting most of the attention until the music came out. And then people heard me and was like, you know, attracted to my voice and my style which made us do my record. And then from there, then you can start feeling the success because now I'm on my own. It's my own record. It's not his record. It's mine. Right. I got to do press. I got to do TV. I got to do interviews. I got to do shows. So it became like, damn, this shit is a job. Yeah. But in sense out of, uh, I mean, you you were like a protege, right? Yeah. That's amazing. To be able to, to be a young rapper and have Dr. Dre as like a mentor. Oh, the, from the beginning stages, from shaping and molding, from yeah. Dr. Dre, D.O.C., Warren G., to all the people that helped me, you know. Yeah, and us as fans. Yeah. Like, that's how we yeah. took it in. As a as a fan, I was like, oh, okay, this guy is in with Dr. Dre, so this must be like similar 
like at least similar quality, similar mm-hmm. mindset, similar artistic level. When someone groups get together and support, like that n- really didn't happen in rock and roll. That happened more in the hip hop community than anything. Mm-hmm. Hip hop artists would do uh, guest spots on each other's albums regularly. Mm. Like that's not that common in rock and roll. Like that was way more a hip hop thing. Yeah, because we we love each other. Yeah, that's why I say the East Coast West Coast shit wasn't really real, because if you check facts, artists was doing shit with each other before, during, and after. Yes. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that it became a narrative, and right. then like young guys coming up probably thought they wanted to support that narrative to ensure their position in the social chain. I don't think that that narrative will ever pop up again because yeah. it was the worst of the worst, and now people loving the way it feels now to where all of our influences are a part of everything, meaning that there's a lot of West Coast influence in the East, there's a lot of East Coast influence in the West and the South, and likewise, it's like we all compliment each other now. That's, that's what it should be for everybody with everything we do, mm-hmm. and as comedians, we're really lucky that that never happened. It never became an East Coast, West Coast thing. We 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 would joke around about like guys from the cellar or guys from the comedy store or whatever. Mm-hmm. But everybody, when they met each other, there was all hugs and love, and everybody's happy that there's someone out there doing it. You know, there's not a whole lot of us when it comes to stand-up comedians. There's not that many of us like right. overall in the world. So th- to not be supportive of each other is fucking stupid. Right. To not be supportive of the up-and-coming ones is is horrible. That's like suicidal. Yeah, because it's y'all sport and y'all. Exactly. Y'all the motherfucking stars of the sport, so y'all got to keep the spirit alive. And you get a chance to set like what you're doing. You get a chance to set the standard for how young guys coming up and young girls coming up mm-hmm. can see someone who's like cool and friendly and lives like a wonderful existence, where like you you have managed to navigate the waters of like being a very famous person in the most masterful way. Like everyone loves you, man. It's there's something about that the the choices you've made and the way you've gotten to where you you've gotten and who you are now. There's so much hope for young people like in terms of like the ability to achieve a state of mind where everywhere you go it's smiles and hugs, smiles and hugs. Like that's what Snoop Dogg has figured out. That's what you you figured out. You figured out to get to a state where most of your existence is smiles and hugs. That's love, and that's that's beautiful. You say that because I get all that from my mama. You know what I'm saying? I was touched by an angel. I had an angel for a mother, and that's what she taught me. She taught me real love, and I'm just an example of what she wanted me to be. So I, I love hearing that. That's beautiful. I really love hearing that because this is all that she wanted me to be, and this is all I'm gonna be. It's all you should be. Why be anything else? It's awesome. Why? We were so lucky. You know, we're lucky that we get to live in this strange world. We're lucky that we get to be in a, a, a job that lets you be free. I mean, you showed up with a boombox plan. <laughs> I kind of want you to play that, that video that we I'll just play shot. anything you want. You just let me know. It's a video. He can pull it up. But for the, the folks at home, Snoop is the first person ever to show up in the studio with a boombox blaring his own music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Blair and his own play. music, just smooth, 
Slid it in on you one Wearing time. a silk gypsy bandana. And Promotions. Beautiful jewelry. It was like, if I ever wanted to meet Snoop Dogg, it was the best way ever to meet him. <laughs> <laughs> Because people might not know, like you and I have chatted on the phone real quick, but this is the first time we've met Matt. Right. Up close and personal. Yeah. And hung out. And we shared a room together. Yes. Yes. Full of smoke and drink. Here's one more toast to the boogie, Joe. Yes, sir. Salute, my brother. Mm. This is the group with me, Ice Cube, Too Short, and E-40. We're called Mount Westmore. Yes. This was the first single off of the um, Algorithm album. It's called Big Subwoofer. Where we going, dog? Shit, we're gonna go to Planet Snoopiter where the bitches is blue, man. Snoopiter? Man, why Snoopy Dog always get to fly? I'm the flyest motherfucker in here, though. Hey, you a shooter, man. No, I'm the shooter. I say we just get the fuck up out of here. Y'all ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Got my 40 on me, that's my mini-me Damn near anything I want, I can afford it Listen Never hustle backwards, always forward Progression I can multitask, always on the grind I can walk and chew gum at the same time I ain't on hiatus, I ain't missing an action I'm the center of attention, bitch, the main attraction When I enter the turf, when I pull up What happened? People gather around me like an ice cream truck No cap. People always ask me what I do for a live I wear many hats I'm something like Liz. I love liquor and sex. sex. Booty and breasts. breasts. A couple stretch marks and cellulite on her flesh. She got her legs open like a field goal pile. Booty softer than the King Hawaiian roll. Uh-oh. Booty softer than the King Hawaiian roll. You know about them soft Hawaiian rolls? Uh, we had a few. <laughs> Woof a bouncing like a trampoline. Glass shake when I roll past the scene. Candy apple paint dripping classic green. Everybody eating, you can ask the team. Fast and mean, speakers bumping, tags is clean. Keep me something to smoke on. Bad bitch to poke on. Bass hit like an earthquake. You niggas hold on. I hit the block and roll on. My bitch got ass like 218s. Her favorite two short song is in those jeans. Shake it, baby, if you like this song. Do a nasty dance every time they turn it on. It's got more bass than baseball. baseball. She down on her knees, she want a face show. I got it. Give me what she want. Turn it up loud and let that shit bump. Everybody love the fun. Slumping in the trunk. You in the back seat, wishing you was in the front. She said something, asking if I heard. But bitch, I can't hear one motherfucking word. Bitch. Big sub woofer, it's out right now. What y'all right now? Y'all better go get it. Subwoofer, big titty hooker, cocaine cooker, rooftop looker, looked out and saw TJ Hooker, jumped off the roof like Superfly Snooker. You know me, I'm up in it like a booger. Then I treat the bitch like some dice and I shook her. I heard this youngin' screaming like a woman, yelling that they coming. Nigga, we ain't running. It's a new day, still got the AK. If these bitches wanna take it back to 88, turn the music down before we locking horns. Keep the party going, it's a false alarm. Big sub, whooper in the back, like, 
Yes, sir. That algorithm I've been stored is November 19. It's a woofer out right now. You understand me? Ice Cool has, has such distinct lyrics. Right? He's so crisp. Always. Yeah, everything has like a pop at the end of it, you know? He's always been so distinct. That's my OG, you know what I mean? That's, yeah. That was the guy that was the guy before me that I always going hold, to hold a special place in my, you know, top five. Always. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, when when he came out, there was a there's a there was a angry edge to the way he would rap that was infectious. Right. It was great if you were on the treadmill. Hey, it was great if you was on the if you was on the track selling that dope. I mean, <laughs> I'm inspiration. sure. Inspirational. Inspiration. Yeah. Inspir music can be inspirational as fuck. Music is like almost like a drug. It if you really can is. sell the feeling that you get, like if if a, a really good song comes on. The feeling that you get out of that, like, oh, shit. If you could get that out of a drug, you would definitely take it. Matter of fact, I wasn't even thinking when you was talking about the East Coast, West Coast thing. Murder music, find that. I just dropped that yesterday. That is going to show you where hip-hop is at right now. That song is also on the Algorithm album. I know it sounds like a false plug, but the shit, watch when you see it. It's going to show you where we at right now with hip-hop. Turn it up. We up in this motherfucker on some murder, murder, kill, kill shit. Yeah. The butcher coming. They need the butcher, Jadakiss and Buster. Yeah. Murder music just for this type of shit they could ban us. Cause this what they gon' play when they wipe they prints off the hammers. I'm really like that. I ain't just write this shit for the camera. I did in my city what Michael Vick did in Atlanta. Yeah. Cash safe for insurance. Them bad days was a force. Still hood. Roach clips in the ashtrays of my form. In LA, RB bitch drunk with her hands around me. The night Swiss introduced me to Nas at a Grammy party. When my strip introduced me to hard, I had grams around me. A star player never asked for the bar, they just playing around me. Niggas heard I took a shot. They was asking if I was good. I looked the shooter right in his eyes when that trigger got pulled. Huh? Murder music, murder music, murder music, murder music. Yeah, yeah, murder music. Murder music, murder music. Yeah. Some come through the water, some come through the border. Some of them get caught, but that's depending on the porter. Old niggas hiding, young niggas sliding. I'm being the man, just protecting and providing. My only concern is if it cook right. My chain yellow, way the diamond set up, it make it look white. Kill you for nothing, cause they petty. Cutting the dog food with the fetty. They young, but they ready. No crowd, I get my applaud off the beats. I'm a boss, so I make sure. All of us eat, All say a couple funerals will bring a war to a cease And remember, it ain't no reward for the streets This is not normal Dicky suits is how we dress formal Where I'm riding his tracks like a porno I then, what's up then? I'm busting every controlled substance I touched it, I know it's disgusting I'm just stacking, call me El Guapo And I bet you never had a brick from El Chapo Tuesday, I just play the crib and make tacos A lot of niggas fronting like they nice, but they not Y'all spoke that up, now soak that up They done pulled my coat, nigga, the goat got up What's up? Murder music, murder music Murder music, murder music Yeah, murder music, murder music Anytime you can rhyme something with tacos, I'm in Yeah, 
These are three elites, East Coast rappers right here, man. It's 2021. Come on, Buster Rhymes, kill this shit. Murder music. Mur I only music. got time to murder shit. I bang them while deafening in both ears. Uh -huh. When I'm making niggas black and rip couches and throw chairs. Uh -huh. At times I be unleashing a raft of most fear. Uh -huh. I don't discriminate. I even body close peers. See, I'm suggesting most you niggas should get to step into the rear. Uh -huh. And fuck with most you niggas or talk. I don't care. Uh -huh. If you don't rep it right, you shouldn't come around here. Oh no. Adjust my level up. Make sure a nigga sound clear. They wanna stop and wanna steer. They do. They hate that I'm the best and it's greatness in the flesh and it's Pointless to come here. Uh -huh. You need to scribe this jewelry I write to save this shit on a server. Uh -huh. And type the way that I speak for moving space on a cursor. I'm not an advocate for violence, but push me, I'ma push it further. The script, hand on my hip, squeezing the grip a little firmer. <laughs> These dumb niggas don't realize that it's better to be a learner. Stupid nip, when you don't, it's when you get the feeling of burner. Shut the fuck up, it's better to be watchers, listeners, and observers. Cause if you not, you fuck around, that's how niggas like you get murdered. Get murdered. Murder music, M murder music, murder music. Murder music, yeah. Murder music, murder music, murder music, yeah. Murder music, murder music, murder music, yeah. Murder music, murder music, murder music. Didn't Busta Rhymes just lose a ton of weight? He got really fit, right? Have you seen that, Jamie? He looks good. Busta Rhymes, he took some before and after pictures too. So and I guess he, he was he, like he documented the whole experience. Did that, he? Yeah, he documented. I think we're gonna try to find a way to help him get that put out so people can see that his whole transformation. I, he I hope he puts it out where everybody he can should, see it, right? Like YouTube or something. Yeah, yeah, put that out. yeah. If you see the pictures, it's remarkable. I mean, job. he went from looking like a guy who's you know getting a little heavy, to physically little older, fit. yeah, to ripped. To right. Wiz Khalifa ripped. Right. He's ripped. Super strong. He looks amazing. Like, See he that? actually went all the way to the end. He did that. He made it to the finish line. Yeah. Some guys get close. Like, look at the difference. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he's got a six-pack. That's crazy. If you look at the one picture on the left, he looks like he's, you know, many pounds overweight and not exercising. And next to it, it's him with a six-pack. Like, he went all the, way, all the way across the finish line. Like, that's what every fat guy wants. Like, what do you want out of this uh, workout program? Like, if you were working with a fitness trainer, like, put that picture up. This is what I did for Buster Rhymes. I can do this for you. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, fuck, I'm in. What do you got to do? Just listen to everything I say. You're going to eat everything I tell you to eat, and we're going to fucking do this. Are you ready? And if you did listen to that fucking guy and did what Buster Rhymes did. Yeah. Here's the thing about six-packs. You don't get that shit for free. No. You could say that you could lose some weight and your abs will show, but if your abs are bullshit under your no-fat body, it's not going to look good. Busta Rhymes has big ab muscles. Those look big. That's strength. That shit look good. That's strength. Yeah. He broke like, that shit down. Yeah. Th that's not like a skinny waist where you see a little bit of like abs, but there's no like power behind it. That's a powerful six pack. Man, that's how fuck you up six pack for being committed to getting. Yeah, this shit shout together. out to Busta Rhymes doing that and and uh, and putting that out there for everybody to see that that's possible. That you can go from being overweight and not feeling good about yourself to being shredded. Yeah, fuck yeah, good shit. That we all get better from that. You know, and that's what people have to understand. When you see someone succeeding, the people that haven't succeeded yet, sometimes there's a tendency for them to get angry right. at people like yourself or anybody that has succeeded. 
and they get upset. But they need to see the struggle. Yet. If they exactly. see the struggle, then they can understand exactly. it a little bit better to see that it was hard work that was put in to get into that point. And they just got to believe that one day it's going to be them too. The angriest guys are all the guys that think it's not going to happen to them. Those are the guys that they think everybody else is going to make it and they're not going to make it. Mm-hmm. And it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm-hmm. Wish I could have said that clearer. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, because they they create so much bad energy because they're worried that everybody's going to fuck them over, that everybody just wants to avoid them. Yeah, shake, rattle, and roll. But like I was saying, that is 2021. That's Benny the Butcher, Jadakiss, Busta Rhymes, Snoop Dogg. Three East Coast rappers and one West Coast rapper all on one song, pushing and promoting peace through that murder music. And that's just showing you the mind state of hip-hop today that we've pushed so far past that that that's where we are. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Hip hop in general. I mean, if you if you really stop and think about it, it's one of the most recent art forms in the world. In in terms of like something that it's the one of the most impactful, right? I mean, think about how many songs are used for like how many like Frankie Edgar to this day comes out to Biggie. You know, I mean, how many, how much influence has hip hop had? I think we got six inductees in the Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That's amazing. I think we got Public Enemy, N.W.A., Tupac, Biggie, L.L., Jay-Z. Right? (sighs) There should be a lot more. Yeah, but I (laughs) mean, it's a start. You got to start somewhere. It's beautiful that that's a start. But they should go back to Cool G Rap. They True. should get Gangstar in there. True. True there's, indeed. There's a lot that True should be indeed. in there. It's like, but the problem with award shows is like, without award shows, with awards, like, the, how many people are deciding awards? But the, what the people have spoken, the, the, the people have said that this art form that really didn't even emerge until like the late 70s, right? When was the first ever like recognized hip hop? What was the first rap music? What year? It was it was before the Sugar Hill Gang. It was people that was making right. hip hop that probably didn't have record deals, and it was people that okay. was rapping on songs too, like Rudy Ray Moore, and right. and Clarence Reed, Blowfly. Blowfly had a song called Rap Dirty. Look that up. See what year that came out. Rap and Rudy Dirty. Ray Moore was a comic, right? Yeah, but Rudy Ray Moore was a comic, but he made music, and his music oh. had rhymes and, and riddles and shit in it. Uh, what yeah. year was that? Early seventies. So but Blowfly was one of the first ones to have a real song when he was rapping. What year did Rap Dirty come out? 1980? So as comedians, we have a godfather. Mm-hmm. Our godfather of comedy is Lenny Bruce. Right. That's the guy. And that's he, Richard Pryor's guy. Exactly. And gotcha. Richard Pryor was the great one. Mm-hmm. Richard Pryor was the guy who took the, the original guy that started out the Hoist Gracie, right? And he took it to a whole new place. Right. To a place that like transcended everything and then everything else came from there is there someone like that from hip-hop is there one person that you look back and say that's the hoist crazy of hip-hop it would probably be hollywood because russell simmons just gave me some game on hollywood hollywood and then um who's hollywood he's one of the first dj mcs to rap and dj and mc at the same time his name is Hollywood, out of New York. And I'm just getting my history on him. 
And um, I'm going to sit down with him and do a one-on-one conversation with him so mm. I can get the full insight. But I know Russell Simmons told me he was one of the forefathers to this shit. And then Cool Herc definitely. And Cool Herc had a rapper that was with him that was rapping. So those three are like the the trifectors to creating this thing called hip-hop. Mm. And then from there, it's Sugar Hill. And it's, then it's, everything it's, that follows. It's, it's everything that follows what's starting with Sugar Hill, Run DMC, Houdini. But Sugar Hill is recognized as being like the first, the first, first record, round. The first record like that the first made, shot fired. The first clean yeah. record that was shot around the world that made hip-hop officially a real thing. Right. And then Run DMC made it motherfucking official. Yeah. LL Cool J came behind yeah. it and made it super official. Public yeah. Enemy. And WA like changed country, everything. everything just Ice T, yes, KRS One. Oh my God, Biz Markie, Big Daddy Kane, Roxanne, H U S T L E R Hustler. Man. I would listen to that when I was delivering newspapers too. <laughs> Six in the morning, police at my door. Fresh Adidas squeaking across the bathroom do, floor. Do, do. <laughs> yeah. you know, I I've been an Ice T fan since the eighties as well. Ice T is my OG. Have you ever had him on your podcast? No, I would definitely would though. I would love to. You never had iced tea? No, I would. I, I get nervous around people that I was like, uh, you know, that I was giant fans of when I was a kid. Like, legit. That's the people that make me nervous. Because it's like, I can meet people when I'm an adult and it makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. But when I think about the people that I was like, giant fans of that when I was a kid and then I meet them. It's just you're still, weird. You're still a kid to them. Yeah, I'm still a I'm kid. I'm the same way. When I'm around Magic Johnson and, yeah. you know, people like that, even around, like, Eddie Murphy, man, Eddie Murphy didn't kick it a couple of times, but I'm just different around him because that motherfucker... He make me nervous. He was the one when I was a kid. Like, this motherfucker was the funniest nigga ever, so... Yeah, he makes me nervous. And for him to know who I am, to have me come over his house, that shit threw me off. Like, damn, Eddie Murphy want to hang out with me, man. I'm nervous as a motherfucker right now. I only got to meet Eddie once because I'm friends with Charlie, and I was at a it was at a resort in Maui, just random. And I ran into Charlie's cousin. I'm like, "Hey, what are you doing here, man?" And he goes, "I'm here with Charlie. Eddie's here." He goes, "You want to come by and say hi?" I go, "Where are they?" He goes, "They're having lunch right now." I'm like, "Oh my god!" I went over and sat down, and I was hanging out with Charlie Murphy and Eddie Murphy, and I was like, "This is the craziest shit I've ever experienced in my life." The Murphy boys. It didn't even seem real. Eddie Murphy's a guy that you talk to, you like, I can't believe you're right there. You know? That's my guy. Let's see if the OG gonna pick up. He probably on the You trying to call him? On the set of the SUV show. CSI. Don't he be doing that? Who's on that? Ice T. Oh yeah. Special Victims Unit. That's what it is. SVI. S unit. S V U. You don't know it. <laughs> I don't. It's always somebody getting done bad on that show. Every time I look up, it's somebody getting done bad. They gave Ice-T a day job. He getting that money. Exactly. Ice getting that bread. For real. I seen him on a commercial with uh, Stone Cold Steve. He's done everything. Stone but when, uh, when I was a kid, Ice-T was, uh, you know, I mean. He was the epitome. He was one of the original from six in the morning, I mean, and then uh, <laughs> when he started doing heavy metal music and he played Cop Killer, wow! Woo! Uh, people don't understand how dangerous that was to do that pre-internet at that time. At that time, like, oh, what? Here's something to consider: 
when you see that there's good cops and bad cops and you see a lot of the bad cop videos on on instagram and youtube and all that stuff that comes out wow you get a chance to see them now during the ice tea days when he made cop killer you didn't get to see shit hell no nobody had a camera so he was taking a chance he was taking a wild he was taking chance. a chance with his life too legitimately like they had to be thinking about taking his life. Like there had to be like yeah, a few bad time, cops. That was the first time somebody had really spoke up. In WA, it spoke, yes. but they didn't say cop killer. Exactly. They said fuck yeah. the police. This motherfucker said cop killer, and he had the white crowd with him because he was on some like syndicate shit. He's playing metal. It was yeah. metal. Yeah. What was the name of that band? Again? Rhyme Syndicate. Rhyme Syndicate. That was his. Uh, that was his that was alter ego. Yeah. So he would do that and it was like he, he just had a different way of expressing himself. So he had his his ice tea records and then he had the records that he did where he was screaming metal music. See, what he noticed was, I'm a motherfucking cop killer. What he noticed was when he was making them hood records and he started doing shows, his fans look like that metal audience. Yes. And I feel like he probably was like, you know what, I need to make something for you motherfuckers. Uh, since y'all want me to be rocked the fuck out, let me rock out one time. I think he likes it too, though. Yeah. It's both of those things. It's that he likes it too. He got to love it the way he was doing. He was screaming and doing all the shit that they do, rocking there was, out. There was a guy that I used to do Taekwondo with, and he was a cop. And uh, he liked that song. And me and him <laughs> were talking. And he was, you know, he's a black dude too. And we, we were talking. I go, does that song fuck with you? He goes, no. He goes, I love that song. He just, I can't sing it around other cops. <laughs> So it's like, so in your car, you're a cop, and in your car, yeah, you're driving around shit. going, I'm a motherfucking cop killer! Like, like Excuse me, officer. That. Hey, turn that shit down real quick. And he's a cop. That's fucking crazy. It was hilarious. We were laughing so hard, because we're like, this is so crazy. But that's what music do, though. It break those barriers. Yeah. It break well, all walls. It's also like, when you are hearing a song from that perspective, this perspective is about a person who's literally afraid of being murdered by a cop. Right. Because that has happened. We all know that's happened. So when you hear that, you put yourself in the position of that person singing that song. That's what everybody does. Mm -hmm. One of the things that everybody loves about a great song, you know? Kick in the door, wave in the 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. All, all you, you heard, heard was, Papa, Papa, don't hit me no more. You imagine you're the person saying those things. Right. That's what that's what's happening for for the people that are tuning in and listening. It's so valuable. For the people. engagement of knowing that 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 is you yes. when you listen to the song. That's why you're so yes. into it because you feel like he's talking about me, and that you could imagine you if you were at your best being that guy. You can imagine if you get your shit together, mm -hmm. you could be talking like Biggie and making everybody look stupid. Right? You know, that shit crazy. One night we was in L.A. and um. It was like we was in Hollywood somewhere, and Pac had Biggie with him, and we was just on stage rapping and shit, and yeah. everybody was freestyling Warren G, Biggie, Pac, and myself. It may be some video footage of that. Let's see if you can find that. Biggie, Snoop, Tupac, Warren G, freestyling in Hollywood. Wow. Yeah, that shit was hard. And we didn't really know cuz at the time. So... We was looking at who was this fat motherfucker rapping. But when, <laughs> when he started rapping, niggas was like, Shh. when that when them words came out of his mouth, motherfucker stopped looking at what he looked like and was like, shit, he hard as fuck. 
one of my favorite videos in all of hip hop is Biggie on a corner in Brooklyn when he was 17 years old. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, but see this shit right here? There's people in the crowd. Dad's Tupac BPG. and Biggie on stage. Dad, wow. corrupt, B-tip, K-dub. Do you think when it comes to people who- right there, he wasn't even on Death Row Records. That's, this, uh, this is the crazy part. They go Biggie right there. And what year was this? 93. He wasn't even on Death Row Records. He was just my homeboy that came through to fuck with me and he brought Cuz Woody. See, now Biggie wow. on the mic. They go Warren G right there. Technique. He had an explosive He on the West Coast. Style. This is in L.A. How good is his style? He rapping a Warren G beat. Give me some volume, Jamie. Ah, missed it. See if you can find that video of him when he was 17 years old on a street corner. That's one of my favorites. Because you see, like, a dude who's, like, you know, just a couple of years removed from being a kid. But see, people don't even know that exists. Right. You just gave them some exclusive shit right there. But it's on YouTube. But they don't know it exists. How many videos? Here it is. This is my favorite. Give me some volume. He in a battle right here. He's in front of a grocery store, folks. The rhythm, but just the the. Imagine being out there and seeing a 17 year old kid rapping like that. You're like, oh, it's over. It's over. <laughs> you bum ass, that was so nigga. good, I need a cigar. <laughs> you ever smoke regular cigars? Nah, I don't fuck with those. They give me hair rush. I gotta have my rush. Imagine someone being that good at 17 years old. Mm-hmm. I know a bunch of cats like that. The video we played before only has 4,000 views on it. Wow. That's what I'm trying to tell you, Joe. You 4,000 views? You finna make this, and I'm only reason why I'm saying this is because I seen it one night on accident. I only seen a little piece of it, and I was like, damn, I remember that night. That was like some cool shit we had did. You know, Snoop Dogg, young Snoop Dogg before he had long hair. So what is this? This one has 4,600 views. It says, Tupac and Biggie on stage, 1993 rare. Just try to find that on YouTube, and it'll pop up. It has 4,612 views as of today. I bet is, you next uh, time we talk, that motherfucker going to have 400-some <laughs> thousand views. Yeah, it's, this today's is, November look, 11th, This is 93 yeah. when we all cool. Right. We all chilling. Right. We on the West Coast. Tupac brought Biggie with him. We rocking. We let Cud get down with us. We go in the back, smoke, chill, hang out. It's beautiful. When did it go sideways? Once Pac got shot. 
when he got shot, he felt like they did it. But and this was when he got shot in New York. Yeah, before he got shot in Vegas. There you go, right there. Yeah, and and now, so he felt like someone from the West Coast was involved. No, or from like, the East Coast. Yes, right? excuse me. Yes, and later information came out that the people that he thought did it had nothing to do with it. So. By him accusing people of it, it kind of set things off. And then by him being bailed out by Death Row Records, and Death Row Records adding more gasoline to the fire, and him uh, being a part of the most gangsterous label in the world that his opposition didn't want no issues with. Right. It only egged it on as opposed to, let's find a resolution. No, let's keep making it more of a problem. Right. You know, in hindsight, we should have been sitting him down saying, no, nah, let's not go after him. Let's just make great music. And, yeah. You know, you're on bail right now. He wasn't even out of jail. He was out on bail when he got killed. It's um, it's obviously you're you're dealing with giant cultural influences and and big business too, because the the business of rap is big business. But there's comparisons to that and what's happening with other countries. There really is. Yeah, man. Them because was my the friends, people, man. But the people can all get along. But Joe, did you see yes. that? You see how pure that was? Yes, I did. Yeah, I did. We were all young. Yes. I was 22. Yeah. Pac was 22. We was all the same age. So it was like, this is us at 22 years yeah. old, being young MCs, competitive. You see the spirit he was rapping when he was rapping like he was battling the same way he was rapping on the corner. Right. Same spirit. But yeah. that's what hip-hop was. Yeah. Like we, in a, we enjoy when somebody could come and hold his own. Yes. But what's really crazy is if that's 1993... That is, at the very most, a 10-year-old art form. 15 at the most. 15. 15 at the most. Yeah, 15. Like, where, where it really emerges. Right. So within 15 years, you have from almost no influence to almost the most influence. And depend, like if, depending on what yeah. month that was... Either I had just caught the case or I hadn't caught the case. Mm. And the way I'm looking, it don't look like I caught a case. Wow. Just so by the way I'm moving. Fun. Yeah, I'm right. looking at my spirit right. and my body. And right. My, You're not thinking about it. Yeah. Yeah, and when I caught the case, all that kind of shit was over with. Right. So it's like Sugar Hill, Run DMC. Def Jam. Def Jam. And then... NWA, well, there Ice T's in the mix there as well. Yeah. Too short, Ghetto yeah. Boys, West Coast, South. yeah, and Cool G Rap, yeah, right. There's a lot. There's a lot of different shit going on, and then of course Wu Tang Clan, right. They come right? out after. They come out after me. Yeah, they come out around a month after me, or probably the same. They came out a little yeah. bit after me, and then you know that almost becomes a cult. Like Wu Tang Clan's almost a cult. And then you can't. They're forget, almost a religion. Then you can't forget. <laughs> you can't forget Rockefeller. Can't forget that. You can't forget No Limit. No. You can't forget Rough Riders. Right. You can't forget Murder Inc. There's certain motherfuckers. You can't forget Bad Boy. Mm-hmm. There's certain motherfuckers that just took the motherfucker rap a lot. Mm-hmm. So so deaf. Certain motherfuckers just came and just said, "We yeah. got the rap game right now. We got mm-hmm. this." Yeah. Well, like the like what you were saying about like supporting artists about all. It, 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 I do think that hip hop might have been the first like real big group of artists that supported other artists openly. Watch this. Who I'm gonna give you a question. See if you can answer it. Who's the first rapper 
to redo another rapper song in hip hop. Wow. I'll give you the year, 1993. <sighs> was it you? Show sure was Snoop Dogg. We did Lottie Dottie. <laughs> slick Rick. Oh, that's right, Slick yeah. Rick. That's a Slick Rick Yeah, Debbie that's song. right. That's I, right, you did. I I'm forgot. the first rapper to remake another rapper's song and pay homage to him while they wow. were alive. That had never been done before. Back then, it was called biting if you took somebody else's lyrics right. or songs. But what I did was I broke the rule by showing love and saying, no, I'm going to remake it because yeah. I loved him so much and I loved his song so much. Well, when you do that, it doesn't hurt anybody, and it helps everybody. When you pretend it's your own idea, that's when it hurts everybody. It hurts it's, you. It's, it's it the hurts first, them. Though, Joe, yeah. it's the first of its kind, and I chose East Coast mm-hmm. to redo. I could have did an Ice-T 6 right, in the morning right, or right, Easy e right. or Ice Cube, but I chose to go that way because my spirit was saying that was the most influential yes. to me. My uh, workout music used to be Colors. Ooh. When that movie came out with Sean Penn, remember that movie? I am a knight. Oh, my. Psychopath talking. That was... Big fella. Who's that? Can you see him? Is that Shaq? Mm-hmm. He's frozen. to a prom. He's got some bad 5G. Something happened. (laughs) When you going to a prom? His image is not moving. (laughs) Is he still connected? It's a poor connection. Ah, poor connection. It's not in here. There you go. Big Daddy. Can you hear me, brother? Shaq! Shaq! What's going on? What's happening, brother? How are you? What's going on? Put a microphone on him, Stoop. Uh, I'm doing good. You good, Snoop? I'm just going to check on you, brother. I'm good, Shaq. I got my spirit right, man. I can't complain. Hey, you know I love you, too. I know what this call is. You're just checking my spirit, making sure I'm right. That's what big brother's supposed to do, making sure your brother is right. You know I love you. I'm good. I'm straight. We sent mama home. My spirit is right. I'm back doing what she want me to do, be out here making people smile and having love in there. All right, boy. Love you, boy. Love you, too. And I'm, not, I'm knocking that out for you tomorrow, too, for the show. I'm getting the first four episodes out the way. All right, good. I appreciate it. Love you, boy. Turn them on me. Shaq, good to see you, friend. Take care, brother. Peace and love. Shaq got a big-ass American flag on his shirt. Where the fuck is he going? Shaq, you, you know, we talked about this the other day. Shaq's a sheriff. He's like a deputy. Right? You know you know, deputy. What the, you know what they say in the hood? What? It's two motherfuckers that's controlling the marketing, branding, TV world right now. Who? Shaq and Snoop. Every commercial you see is either Shaq or Snoop. Really? Watch There's TV. There's a lot of Shaq commercials. That's a fact. A lot of Snow commercials, yeah. too. Just watch. Just keep watching. Damn. But do you feel in any way constricted, connected to like uh, those kind of people, like corporate America type people? Nah, they love me. They love me because I don't know how to do them. I do me. <laughs> and that's what they be missing. They don't want another corny motherfucker up in there. They want somebody with some style, some grace, and some flair that can give their brands, you know, the shit that they miss it. Do you think you could talk me through the making of this blunt? Yeah, first thing you do is you, you got to take the edge of it, unroll it. And you kind of cut into it with your fingernail? Yeah, and then you, you ungut it. You got to gut it, take all of the tobacco out because we don't want no tobacco in there. Why don't these um, backwoods people just admit the truth that most of their cigarettes are sold to people who want to turn them into blunts? Well, right? they're making their money. They don't give a damn. But they should probably like... How about they make something with no tobacco in the motherfucker, huh? Right. 
Yeah. Cut the shit. Just one they call wink wink. Yeah. <laughs> Cut the shit. <laughs> because otherwise people are growing tobacco for no reason. Like, what are you gonna do with the tobacco that's on that that pad that's in front Throw of that us? that shit away? Exactly. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, that's ridiculous. That shouldn't be in there. Right? We have a problem. <laughs> we have a communication problem. San Antonio, we have a problem. Like Swisher Sweets. If they just sold the outside they would win they would win because they could sell it for almost the same price yep. and less to work because less to work and they wouldn't have to grow any tobacco for the inside just a wrap what are we doing so i put the bud on the inside is, is this a revelation no, I mean, they sell wraps but they're different yeah, not. I don't mean wraps. I mean sell the actual outside tobacco, tobacco leaf. Yeah, I know they exactly. do. They sell that. They sell the leaf. Yeah, it's, just, it's different. But they Aren't, shouldn't it's a, it's sell a, the inside. Like if they only <laughs> sold the outside, they said blunt wraps. They just call just call they, it blunt wraps. They, they got do. some yeah. called do they yeah. Fanta leafs in the Who leaf. Who does it? Lots of people. They, no, but the Swisher Sweets. Oh, them in particular or. Uh, um, Backwoods? Nope. No. They probably don't. They got one called the Fanta Leaf where it's a big ass, long ass, big leaf, and you just tear off what you need as you go. You know what I'm saying? And a lot of the Jamaicans, the rosters, they do that. They keep that Fanta Leaf with them. And they, you know, pull it out and roll accordingly without having to do all of that. That's the way to go. Right. It's interesting that, like, tobacco has become a thing in our society, in our culture, that we associate with being negative. But if you go to like these shamanic cultures, it's a part have. of all these psychedelic rituals. I used to work for a company called Blunt Wraps. It actually already has shit. Yeah, that has shit. Oh, in Swisher it. Did, Sweets did you see that? has it. Did you see Snoop Dogg Blunt Wraps? I used to work for. But I just he pulled up Swisher Sweets. They have uh, an actual blunt wrap that's made out of yeah, sandpaper. They, they bit the I'm company. I'm years behind. I'm they sorry, stole, Swisher they Sweets. They stole our idea. I was with a company called Blunt Wraps. Look that up. See if right. Snoop Dogg Blunt Wraps. Pull that up. I did photos and all kind of shit. See? Well, there's probably a lot of people thinking that. I mean, it's not a... I'm a moron, and I figured it out 10 years after everybody else. <laughs> you know? It took you 10? Yeah, right now. I was like, why don't they just sell the papers? Meanwhile, <laughs> they have a whole fucking business. They probably <laughs> ship a, a million blunt wraps a month. And I'm like, why don't they just sell blunt wraps? They're, they're different, though. I mean, there's, there's a market for the way it comes. Right. There's a old school thing. Like, it's like operating a transmission that's a manual, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have three phones? Mm-hmm. What's happening there? I got three <laughs> phones, two for the holes and one for the load. <laughs> <laughs> to see a man sit there with three phones, and by the way, none of them have that, like, uh, screen turn off at 30 seconds mode. No, hell no. I ain't got nothing to hide. <laughs> All three, but they're, like, glowing. <laughs> and he's in your face constantly. The screen never goes dark. And you got three phones running simultaneously. <laughs> Get a bar of this shit, Joe. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. Yes, sir. Cool. Not only is someone not, like, busted out their phone on the show, but to bust out three of them. Snoop, you're so next level. Thank you, Joe. I'm so glad you're around. People like you are so important, like, like like legitimately important, because the way things go, good or bad, the way things go, happy or sad, angry or happy, a lot of that has to do with people like you. When a person like you is real, fun, and happy, 
and so many people love him, and that's where you spread camaraderie and happiness. When, if people go to see Snoop Dogg, they're of a similar mindset. And they, if, even if they weren't previously, they adopt a similar mindset because they see you having so much fun and giving out so much love and everybody embracing you. And they realize at a certain time in the night, they realize, I can do this too. We can all do this. We can all behave to everybody that we know and we meet and we come into contact with the same yes. way Snoop Dogg does. And that's beautiful you say that because November 8th was my mom's funeral. And it was such a beautiful celebration of her life and the way people left there, you know, speaking about my mom and speaking about the way they felt just gave me more reason to continue to keep doing what I'm supposed to be doing and not be sad and not be down, but be thankful that I had 50 years with an angel. That's beautiful. You know what I mean? Yes, I do know. That's beautiful. And that's what we make you do. It make you reflect on great moments in life, and it makes you think about the blessing of being here as opposed to the frustration of not having them anymore. Yes. You know what it does? It makes you sensitive. And it doesn't mean that your path is clearly paved. Right. Like sometimes when you're sensitive, you can go into paranoia and fear, and or you can go into love and, and acceptance and camaraderie and just like recognizing the finite nature of our existence it's so limited i'm 54 there's no way i'm anything less than halfway dead there's no way Joe, if i look, live to be 20 something man you look 20 something you look good science me and my boy kevin was like we pulled the jackets out and we seen you in real life we was like damn he buff as a motherfucker i don't know if <laughs> He probably gonna have problems taking his jacket off. This motherfucker gonna be tight on him. You look good, Joe. I think I'll fit in it. Thank you very much. And that takes a lot when we get to the fifth floor to still be dedicated to working out, making sure our body is still on point. Because I just got to the fifth floor. So. Well, I figured out somewhere along the line that it, there's like a part of it I want to look good. Part of it I want to be strong because I'm insecure. Mm -hmm. But there's also part of it that I realize that I can be my best person when I can control my own demons. Mm. And the way I control my own demons is I, I have to, like, conquer them. I conquer them. I don't want to work out. I force myself to. Right. And I force myself to push myself. Like, And it's not like... A lot of like heavyweight stuff that makes you look good. It's a lot of painful shit. Like it's a lot of rounds in the bag and like Tabata sprints on the Airdyne bike and shit like that. That's what I like to do. I like to do shit where I don't like to do it when I'm doing it, but I like how I feel after it's over. And that's what ruthless workouts do. They make you a more peaceful person. And I know that there's people that are afraid of them and they're afraid of people that are ahead of them because they feel like those people are going to be mean to them. But it's not, it's not the case. You gotta, you gotta embrace struggle, and not struggle like unnecessary struggle or a horrible struggle, or you know, you got cancer or your family's poor. That's not what I mean. I mean embrace difficult tasks, mm. like dig in, dig in, and then once you got some momentum, like you're a Snoop Dogg. One of the things that I admire about you is you're so active. You do so many different things. You're always moving. You're doing commentary. You're making new albums. You're touring. You're doing commercials. You're doing movies. You've, you're, and you're you professionally. You're doing a show with Martha Stewart. Shout out to our buddy Chris McGuire. You know yes, Chris sir. McGuire? Yes, my guy. Yeah. 
we started out doing stand up together. For real? Yes. He told me he was doing that show with you. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. He's dope as fuck. I fuck with him. Yeah. He's a smart dude. Yeah. Very smart dude. But it's like you're you're what you're doing is so important to the culture. For, to to the culture of this country, you know. Fun and, and great entertainment and talking shit. Like people forget talking shit is fun. It is. Like when you're talking shit, like when you're talking shit about Roy Jones Jr. versus Mike Tyson. <laughs> and they both my friends. Yes. That's the beauty. Yes, they're both my friends too. I mean You know it reminds me of when I used to watch a show as a kid called All in the Family. I used to love fucking Archie Bunker. That motherfucker <laughs> talks so much shit. So much shit. That motherfucker I look forward to Archie yeah. talking shit. That's that just was like the era like I come up in. You love for somebody to talk shit to you because it got you good with being able to talk shit back. Yes. Yeah. That's sparring. You know it's what I mean? It's sparring. Exactly. It's like a verbal sparring. And uh, there's so many people that are so sensitive today. They don't want to hear they? any sparring. Yeah. Fuck that. Our era, we don't give a fuck. They don't give you a fuck. talk shit about me just knowing I'm going to yeah. hit your ass back. Well, all those Tony Hinchcliffe roasts, all those roasts like the Martha Stewart roast and... All those roasts that uh, where, where Martha Stewart was writing, rather, on uh, where she was doing jokes on roasts, those are all Tony's. Man, Tony did my shit. He was, He's a fucking killer. Him and Jeff Ross are the guys that I go mm-hmm. to when it's time for me. A hundred percent. Those are the two kings of roasts. I go to those two guys. Tony's actually writing a movie for me right now. Ah. Yeah, that's my guy, you know what I'm saying? So me and him, I fell in love with him when I had him do a comedy special or some shit. And he was the only white comedian on there. And he fucked up everybody that looked like me. <laughs> and at the end of the night, everybody was like, who was that white boy? I said, don't worry about nothing. I ain't hiring you niggas ever again. He fucked all y'all up. He was the shit. I mean, just the way he came out there and took control of the crowd. And Do you know, his stand-up was amazing. It's amazing. Do you know ever since he moved to Texas, he started wearing a cowboy hat? <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> Snoop, Snoop, you know, he opens up for me uh, in arenas, and he, this motherfucker walks out in a cowboy hat with a cowboy shirt on, big old belt buckle, cowboy boots. <laughs> no, he's the shit. Uh, he tore all their asses up. Every last one of them. No. Look, Tony Inchcliffe's a straight-up murderer. I work with him all the time. I worked with him last night. He's so good. He said if uh, we go out to dinner tonight that he wants to come. He's so underrated. He's too underrated. Yeah, very underrated. I'm trying to do something about that. I'm gonna when I, I'm oh, I bought a club here and I'm opening up a comedy club. And uh, once I have everything set up and ready to film, I want to film and produce Tony's comedy special. He's the shit. Yeah, and a bunch of other comedians. I want to start what? producing. Make comedy it right specials. now. I show up. Wow. I'll be the musical guest that night. Wow. You hear me? Yes, I hear you. Because then that way we'll make it go. Yes, go. it's gonna happen. It was going to happen anyway. Yeah, I wanted to have, have to wait until the club opens. Yeah, give him that extra little piece to pull out his hat. We'll do it, 100%. Um, I told him, you know, like, like he could get a deal with Netflix or he could do Amazon and all these different... I think I told him I think he should just put it out there. Let the people want it and see it. Mm-hmm. Put it on YouTube. And then let yeah. them come back and pay for one. Exactly. Or pay to see you live. That's mm-hmm. probably the better relationship. The best relationship is you give it away for free. And then when they come see you, they got to pay to see you do it live. Exactly. Got you. So it's, it's like they come to see you because you already gave them something. So now they feel like out. they got to give you something. Well, they feel like they want to come see you. Like you're connected to you. Support. It's organic. Support. They're supporting you. Yes. Yes. 
that's what I think. Like, there's a lot of comics that have done that now. Like Mark Norman. How many views does Mark Norman special have? It's a. It's just a good time, Snoop. It's a good time for rap. It's a good time for hip hop. It's a good time for comedy. Have you ever watched Versus? Versus what? What is Versus? The versus battle where you have two artists singing songs against each other. Seven point nine million. This is what Mark Norman special has. So he just put it up on Instagram or YouTube rather, and. 7.9 million people have watched it. There's no way he would get that many on any other network, right? No. No. Because even Netflix, which is the giant of all streaming platforms, you, got you have to cap. pay. You got a cap when it comes to that. Exactly. But you don't have to pay for YouTube, and there's so much shit on YouTube. Now, I'm telling you about Versus. Versus is a show that was created by Swiss Beast and Timbaland where they have two artists do 20 songs against each other. So now oh. we're thinking about a versus battle with comedians where they oh. go against each other because I don't see that anymore, like two comedians talking about each other. At the, and then at the end of the show, the crowd picks who was the funniest. Well, let me tell you something. I got <laughs> all my gold chips on that kid, Tony. Against anybody. Against anybody. That's what I like. Yeah. That's what the fuck I like to hear. Yeah. I got all my chips on Tony Hinchcliffe, all of them, across the board. That's what I like to hear. Yeah, I'm all in. I'm you, all give him, you give him three rounds, fifteen minutes apiece. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you're not he he that little motherfucker is obsessed and he's mean because he weighs 130 pounds. I know what he. I seen him <laughs> he in comes, a. He comes out I swinging. seen him in an all black audience <laughs> with an all black crowd still the fucking show, bro. Tony, I know what he'll mon- do. He's a monster. My money on him too. I'm just gonna slide it to you on the low. <laughs> yeah, we we do tours together. You know, I've I've done like uh, 15, 20 arenas with Tony Hinchcliffe. He's a he's a bad motherfucker. We should put one of those together. I would love it. That would be so fucking I dope. I would love it. Who's man enough to get in the ring with him? Yeah. Who's funny enough? Yeah, we could do that. We could do that like we would do a combination of we have that, a few musical artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Have, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> Tony goes to war with people. <laughs> Who can I, be Tony? I could be like the ring announcer. I'll be like the Bruce Buffer. Or fuck that. I'll bring in Bruce Buffer. Fuck it. Bring in Bruce Buffer for real. Or right? make, Why would we have Or me? make motherfuckers. That's how you make Tony a star. You make motherfuckers try to knock him off. <laughs> yes. He's like the yes. motherfucking head of the video yes. game, the last challenge. He's the last floor. That might be a great show. That right? could be a great show. Just like beat Bobby Flay. Yes. <laughs> you know, exactly. Be beat to- Tony Hinchcliffe. <laughs> well, he's, his show's called Kill Tony. Fuck it. Right? I mean, kind of crazy. Fuck it. That's it. Kill, kill you Tony. You just call it kill, kill Tony the Roast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Kill Tony Roast. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Because real Kill Tony is really just, Tony's just the host. He's helping everybody out. But Kill Tony, like a, a, a real roast battle. And you know what that would do, too? It would make the sensitive people to comedy be non-sensitive because now you have right. two comedians talking shit about each other right. and they can't be sensitive so now yes. how can you be fucking sensitive when they're not exactly right well, change the narrative that's what he's doing already with that show kill tony because if you've never seen that show kill tony every um monday day uh they they put their names in a hat and then when the show comes around the people are all in the audience they don't know if they're going to get picked and they draw their names out of the hat and then let them come up and they do one minute. So doing one minute of comedy in front of hundreds of thousands of people that are watching online. Mm. And all the like 270 people that are in the club. 
and Tony fucks with them when he gives them props and he's made careers from that guys it. who are just amateurs who are like maybe they're working as waiters or maybe they're you know waitresses or whatever the fuck accountants and then they get this shot to be on kill Tony and they get some laughs and then they start realizing oh my god I could be a fucking comedian why are you didn't FaceTime him right now who Tony I can I'll FaceTime him He'll pick up for you. He's probably going to look at me like a fucking bill collector. No, no. <laughs> Are you kidding me? He had a bit for a while about how he uh, got a, a call from you, and then he answered the call. Yeah, was... I hit him on FaceTime. It was him and his girl. They was going into a club. Called Tony Hinchcliffe. Hey, Tony. What's going on? <laughs> Here we go. Let's see who he's going to pick up on first. He getting calls from me and you at the same time. Let's test his friendship. <laughs> <laughs> Who dialed first, though? Let's just test his friendship. That's what it's all about. You better not yeah. pick up neither one, you motherfucker. Yeah, he better, like, play this, like... Oh, he went with Snoop! <laughs> you son of a bitch! Joe thought you was... You Joe, son of a bitch! Joe thought you was gonna pick up We both call. dialed at the same time, and you went with the Snoop call, you son of a bitch! <laughs> <laughs> Shut down. <laughs> Snoop! I won, I won, I shoot the BB gun. Tony, we're in the middle of a podcast. Oh, sweet, I love it. Put him in front of the microphone so we can hear we, We're in the middle of a podcast, and we just did a thing where we both FaceTimed you at the same time. We were trying to see who would, who would pick up. Would you pick up Snoop's phone or my phone? You picked up Snoop's. It was humiliating. Joe, what, and Joe just had the mafia. They had a gun to his head and said, if this motherfucker don't pick up the phone, I'm going to kill you. And I had the same mafia on me, and they said, which one going to pick up first? And you picked up for me, so Joe's dead. Thanks, Tony. Thanks, Tony. <laughs> what, what are you doing, man? Yeah. What are you doing? Snoop, do you have dinner plans? I got to fly back to L.A. When do you fly back? What time? Seven. Seven? Okay. Snoop's got to fly back at seven. Shit. I'll call you when I get out of here. Tony. All right. What's up with that movie, cuz? What's up with that movie, cuz? We're doing it. We're knocking it out. You let me know. Hit me up sometime when you're not on the biggest show in the world, you animal. <laughs> 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 ah! Have me on Kill Tony one episode, man. Fuck it. I'm not afraid. I owe you and Matthew McConaughey a visit and Willie Nelson. All y'all live in the same neighborhood. We love you out here. We're going to try to get you here. Let's get Tony, we got an idea for a show. Snoop and I came up with an idea for a show with you in it. Oh, sweet. What is it? The real kill, Tony. You battle roasting with people. We bring you in as the king. Just like beat Bobby Flay, they got to kill Tony. This is what we do first. We set you up. With a bunch of fucking Tijuana cab drivers. Like they would, they would a Mexican prospect. You know, that was the thing that Greg Haugen said to Julio Cesar Chavez. Wrong call. Julio Cesar Chavez beat the fucking shit out of him for it. But the idea was that he had this gigantic record, but the guys he fought in the beginning weren't that good. So here's my thought. We get a bunch of dudes who are cocky, who really like have an overinflated perspective of what they're capable of. We start with them. We build you up with contenders, and then eventually someone's going to get cocky. There's going to be some professional stand-up comic that maybe doesn't like Tony Hinchcliffe. Maybe doesn't like the whole ethos of roast-wrapping comedy 
the kind of shows you do with Kill Tony. He wants to put you in your place. Sounds like a dream. I'll beat that motherfucker's ass in anything. <laughs> That's what we both said. We both putting all our chips on you, baby, so say less. <laughs> I told Snoop I'm putting all my chips on Tony. All of them. All of them. Let's do this. Let's work, man. We don't want to take up too much of your time, Tony. We just want to drop a line on you, show you some love, baby. Anytime. Keep Anytime it together, bitch. Keep it together, guys. bitch. Keep, Keep it, together. it together. Yetch. <laughs> bye bye. He's hilarious. I said that shit like a white guy. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs> well, he has a thing about uh, you calling him and him uh, acting like as white as humanly possible. Like <laughs> you can't believe how white he's acting as he's talking to you. That's my guy right there, man. That's a beautiful thing that people actually pick up when we call. Yeah, that's fun. We got a call from Shaq, a call from Tony, man. We're yeah. doing it big, man. It's a hell of an episode. Yeah. When you when you can do like FaceTime calls with people and they pick up. Right. Like that's a beautiful thing. It feels important. Yeah. Like I was saying, like when you when you and I were calling, when I when I called you and I was at the sitting at the dinner table and my daughter goes, Holy shit, that's Snoop Dogg for real? Yeah. I was so impressed by the way she said that. I was ah! like, Wow. She's amazing. Well, <laughs> my kids, uh they 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 understand that it's a high value of fun in the house. Right. Like if you can say something funny, if you can make daddy laugh, like that's a big deal. <laughs> like mommy might get mad, mommy might mommy might think it's time to go to bed, mommy <laughs> might think you got to get out the door, go to school, but if you can make daddy laugh, like daddy kind of overrules it and he starts laughing, he'll fall on the floor yeah. and laugh with you. A thousand points. Yeah, so my kids they talk shit. But well, they get it honest. Yeah, but I also talk shit to them too, because mm. I want them to be able to spar with kids at school. Like you don't want your kid to go to school and be some s fucking delicate lamb. You want your kid to go to school to be like a loving gladiator. No, nah, when, when my kids were young and um, trying to get into the music industry, I was like the worst critic for them. I was like Good. real hard when they wasn't when they didn't sound right. I was like y'all shit sound like shit. It's garbage. It's this. It's that. And it taught them to know that the world is going to be just as shrewd as I am, but it's built up their tough skin to be able to say that, you know, rejection ain't nothing. It's another opportunity out there. Also, what you, the kind of rejection you're giving them is better mm -hmm. because you love them. Right. You love them. Tough they love. know you love them, and you're saying it sucks. Like, that'll hurt for a while, but the, the key is learning a system of handling reality mm. and avoiding any kind of pitfalls where you distort reality to save your ego or save your self-image or save the way other people perceive you because that doesn't work anyway if people think that you want them to think about you in a certain way they're not going to think about you that way they're going to think you want them to think about you that way so they're going to think you're weak right the only way people perceive you in a way that measures up to what you're doing is if you do something, if you want extraordinary love, you got to do extraordinary things. Yes. Like, like Mike Tyson in his prime. Mike Tyson, when he knocked out Michael Spinks in his prime, that was an extraordinary human. Mm. And he got extraordinary results. Mm -hmm. But he deserved them. Yeah, he did. He deserved them. And that's the balance of life. And some people don't think that that balance is achieved because they think they deserve more than they do. Right. But you just need to work harder. Yeah. 
Put that work in and you'll get the results. And also, if it didn't work out your way and you did work hard, regroup. No. Don't blame other people. Don't get mad at people who are successful. That fucks everybody up. It fucks the successful people up because they don't want to help you because now they're resentful. It fucks you up because it distracts you. It takes away from your focus, which should be a success. Well, most people don't understand that most successful people have had a lot of failure in their life in order to become successful not just a lot but like like the thing you're doing when you're sparring with daniel serafian mm -hmm. you that's you're putting yourself in a situation where you're not the person who's the expert at that right. and you're learn and you're you're also like crazy famous and you're practicing doing mma with a guy who fought in the ufc a couple times. His ear is like a cauliflower. Yeah. <laughs> you ever touch it? Hell yeah. It's hard as fuck, right? Yeah, I'm like, damn, this shit come... This is experience. When you get one of these motherfuckers, that, that means you experience. Or you suck at getting out of triangles. You've been squeezed it, the fuck. Yeah, it <laughs> doesn't necessarily the fuck mean out you're good. <laughs> I've met dudes who had cauliflower ear, and they, they, t they were terrible at jujitsu. It just squeezed the fuck yeah. out you, huh? I only have a tiny amount. I have like a little bit right here in this ear right here and I have some somewhere else where it's really hard but it's just bleeding and so I always wore ear guards right when I when I uh, grappled I wore these things you tuck them and you velcro them under your chin so you can't fuck my ears up. yeah because the thing about me is like you gotta hear things right. right if you take your ear if you go like this with your ear and we're talking everything sounds normal but if you go like this and grab the top of it and pinch it down it sounds different right. and then you let it go and start to oh now I hear everything right. because your ear was designed to capture sound so as soon as you get cauliflower ear and you want to look like a badass well you sacrificed being able to hear mm. for looking like a badass the look over the over the sound yeah it's not good for a guy like you we won't compromise our sound for the look why would anybody compromise on sound <laughs> sound moves people yeah even old school shit i was at the ufc the other day and somebody came out to the rocky soundtrack i was like oh my god that's emotion connected da -da, da -da, da -da, da -da, da felt big da -da, da -da, da you see Rocky Ladies running up those stairs in Philadelphia? That remind me of Howard Cosell calling the fight here and that. Do you know how good Rocky was? He didn't even win. <laughs> that movie was amazing and he didn't even win. Adrian! Like, think about that. He didn't fucking win. He didn't win that movie. Nah. He didn't win that, that fight in that movie. Nah. He fought. Apollo Creed, who was essentially Muhammad Ali. It was a version right. of Muhammad Ali. Right. He didn't even win, and that movie made everybody get up and run. I was like eight years old, dude. I drank three raw eggs, and I ran around the block. <laughs> I was trying to find the, the statue, and like they said that shit in Philadelphia. Like, damn. Can't run that far. Da -da -da, <laughs> da -da -da. Who was the statue of? Was it Joe Frazier? I don't know, but the whole city Is was it running a, behind him. Yeah. Is it a Joe Frazier statue? Because he's from Philly. Did did Muhammad? Oh no 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 no! I think it actually is Sylvester Stallone. Yeah yeah. yeah. Oh, that's was, horrible. Yeah, in the movie, there's no statue. That's horrible. That's right. Yeah. Afterwards, they it. put a statue up there. Right, right. That's so they crazy. <laughs> you think about all the people that came out of Philadelphia. Bernard Hopkins. Bernard Hopkins came out of Philadelphia. Joe, Joe Frazier. Frazier came out of Philadelphia. They went with Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Motherfucker was one in six. 
A motherfucker that was one and six got a stadium up there. He lost to Drago. He lost to Clubber Lane. <laughs> Do you know Bill Burr? Yeah, that's my... Okay. You ever see Bill Burr's rant about Philadelphia? Man, he's from Boston. He's a fucking... Yeah. He hates New York <clears throat> and Philadelphia, right? Yeah. He hate New York, though. Well, we're from the same place. I'm For from real? Boston, too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I was God. the generation right before Bill left. Oh my God! I was uh, I was uh, like late '80s. Bill was early '90s. It was right after each other. We like passed like ships in the night. Yeah, All he's right. awesome. He's awesome, and he has his. <laughs> <laughs> he was in Philadelphia, and they were booing Dom Irera, and Dom Irera, who's like a legend, old school comedy legend. He's amazing. HBO specials, like one of the greatest guys ever, and one of the funniest guys ever. Dom Irera's on stage, and they like people were fucking with him, and. Bill Burr went on stage and lit Philadelphia on fire and pissed on its grave. <laughs> wow. It was like it was like nine minutes of him shitting on Philadelphia with sports facts and everything. And then finally he gets to the thing where he's talking about how you got a fucking fake boxer who has a statue. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Joe Frazier came from Philly. I don't know if he said Bernard Hopkins, but he said, you got fucking Sylvester Stallone. You got Rocky. You got a fake guy. As the statue of y'all. Ah, it's so funny. Shout you want to pretend this Italian Burr. guy kicked everybody's ass. <laughs> Bill Burr is a bad motherfucker, man. He's a bad motherfucker. Bill Burr is a special, special kind of comic. I love him. He's an unusual person. And he does his podcast where it's just him. It's so unusual. There's like guys that do it like like my friend Tim Dillon does Tim Dillon and his producer Ben and he he bounces shit off Ben and makes Ben laugh. Bill does it like he's shouting out to the abyss. It's all just alone. Bill all alone. It's just him in a room talking. You know I'm fucking telling you how I feel about shit. And he and it's like one of the most popular podcasts in the country. His shit is dope though. He got he got interesting shit to talk about. Yeah, I liked him in that movie with Pete Davidson. I didn't see that. That shit was good. He's great in everything he does. He can do everything. He's great at the drums. Yeah. You ever see Bill Burr play the yeah, drums? Yeah, fuck it up. He, he fucks it up. He's really good at the drums. Multi-talented. It's like anybody who gets to that level. There's like levels of things, you know? Levels of hip-hop, levels of rock music, levels of comedy, levels of everything. Mm -hmm. Where you get to that level and you, you just have a different way of... Uh, you can do anything. If you set your mind to it, you could do anything, you know? It's meant to be done. I sent you one more song. I want to play one more song off of the algorithm. Make a lot of money. It's Fabulous Dave Easton, Snoop Dogg, produced by High Tech. My God. Give it to me, Jamie. What are my niggas saying? Say that. Everybody like More money. Get your money like, yeah. What are the strippers saying? Yeah, can't. Ain't all my niggas saying, what up, fam? I used to take the money, now I make the money. So my hoe with a drink and told her make the money. If it's growing on trees, I'm trying to rake the money. Up the heat for the cake, I'm trying to bake the money. Back in showtime, I get lake of money. No more square feet, I get acre money. I got hate your money, I try to snake your money. And my OG said they act fake or funny when you... What all the strippers saying? Hey. What all my niggas saying? Say that. <laughs> Everybody like Make some money. Oh, money. Oh, 
You have a TikTok as well? Yeah. You do it all yourself? Yeah, Experience, you bitch, you. I feel like we could do a lot of these. Come on. Why not? I feel like we could do a lot of these. Why not? Not why? I feel like this is the beginning. We can do many, many, many episodes of this. So we got one. I feel head. like there's going to be a time where you have five phones in front of you. Where three's not enough. <laughs> three's not enough. I'm telling you. This is about as high as I've ever been on a podcast. I just want to tell everybody out there: if I didn't make any sense, believe me, I realized why I was talking. I did. I, I didn't make any sense. I was in another dimension when this thing started. I think we're okay now, though. I feel I feel like I'm back. Me too. What all my niggas saying? Say that. Yeah, body like. I'ma roll me up one for the roll. Put your chain on, Josh. For real, though. Jamie's a little jealous. All right, though. look at him over there. Next time. Cold thing about money, baby. <laughs> when you get money, that Def Jam chain on, man. You gotta watch out for the suckers. Oh, you gotta watch out for family. Yeah. But most importantly, Def you gotta Jam watch records, out for, you hear me? for the anxiety, right? Because when you making money, you just get so anxious to make more of it. it but you gotta learn how. And that was gonna be the next song on the record, anxiety. I'm leaving my roaches as. Uh, how does this open up? As artifacts. History. <laughs> <laughs> Leave all that tobacco too, so we we can talk about climate change. Let me get that for you. Yeah, please do. You got it. Let me show you how to do it. You got to uh, up, and then it's you got to click it like that. You got it. I'm gonna get it this way. We could do this afterwards. Oh, there we go. Got to drape you out. Oh, he's yeah, gonna drape me out. This is better than being knighted. Yeah, I mean. Fuck all you sirs. I dreamed that there was gonna be a time where Snoop would hang a chain around my neck and say, drape you with the drip drop. That's but, Def Jam Records, man. You know what Def that Jam means? Records. I do. Thank you. You know what that means? You a hip-hop historian. I do. I am. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a giant that's, fan that's, of hip-hop. That's Beastie Boys, Public Enemy, mm -hmm. uh, EPMD, Slick Rick, yeah. LL Cool J. Yes. Come on, man. Yes. That's foundation. It is foundation. If you, if you went to the history of music and musical influences... Def Jam is giant, right? If you think about all the different labels and all the different like trends of music, the amount of like insanely good music that came out of Def Jam. Def Jam has been the staple of hip hop since the beginning of hip hop. But it, we were talking about this earlier, whether it's the late 70s or the early 80s, whatever it was when hip hop emerged, it's really crazy that you're talking about an art form that's only 40 years old. Hip-hop is only 40 years old, but hip-hop is the future because it constantly grows and grows yes. and grows. It started from, uh, you know, somebody doing it on the street corners and DJing and whatnot. Now it's global. It's where 
You can't do nothing without hip-hop. It's a part of everything moving and shaking. Well, you know what it is? It's a, a powerful new style of, like, musical culture. It's a, a style that's only, you know, if you look at the hundreds of years. But if you really go back, that's where it's crazy, Snoop. If you go back 150, 250 years ago, people were just playing piano and shit. Right. And no had, words. No you know, words, yeah. They had, like, uh, they had guitars and they had different instruments, but... Where's all the, like, amazing lyrics? I know, right? Like, Beethoven. If you, if you go to the old, the old, classical old... Classical music. Yeah. Classical the oldest art. shit. When was Beethoven? What years were those? 18-something. And, and they told their stories through the music. They had no words. And I'm going to tell right. you, I went to a fucking classical concert with a friend of mine. We was working out together, and we had a bet, and I lost the bet. So she was like, you got to come to a classical concert with me. I went to a classical concert with her at the Hollywood Bowl, and they didn't sing one fucking word. And all while they was doing the music, she sit next to me. Yeah, this is the part where he he kills his father, and he. I'm like, how the fuck do you know that? And he ain't said a motherfucking word. And then later on, I looked over at it. She was crying like a motherfucker. I'm like, what's going on? This is the part where he dies. This is the same shit they was playing when I walked in. How do you know? <laughs> I'm like, Can you play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony? You have to have a different ear to listen to that. Yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking the opera, though. It was the difference. Just, just play Beethoven's opera. Fifth pre, Symphony. Pre-opera. Pre-opera. Classical. Just instrumentation. Play Beethoven's Fifth. Because what I want to get at is that, like, I feel like I never got Grateful Dead. I know people love it, but I never got it. <laughs> For whatever reason. I'm missing that gene. You know? <laughs> I was in the Leonard Skinner. I was yeah. into all kinds of shit. Leonard but, Skinner. But, I went on tour with the motherfucker for about two But months. listen to this. This fucking madman figured out how to compose music when there had been no music composed. How much shit had been before him? I don't know, but how much shit sounded like this? I'm going to say none of it. Nothing. Because it exists now, to this day. I, I can say in 2021, Beethoven's fifth. And you know what I'm talking about. When I think, when I hear this music, you know what I think about? A fucking cartoon in the 70s. Some little yes. cartoon. It always had shit like this. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it was always trumpets. Yeah. Yeah. Looney Tune. Harps and shit. Yeah. Guess when it was composed. When? 1790. 1808. Wow. I was close. Yeah. That was pretty but good. Opera was 1500s. Wow. I was, just, I was thinking in my head, it was microphones. You couldn't sing louder than this, so you'd have to be so louder. that's why they had those people, those bellowing voices. Yelling as yeah. loud as they possibly no, could. No uh, magnification. Right. Because the, the echo was yeah. in the room. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was the shape. Yeah. Yeah, that special right. microphone. This one? Well, no, once you get a special microphone like that, then like, you can hear words. Oh, like this one? Yeah. That one. What, what about, about a special, a special mic, mic like the motherfucking <laughs> mic I came up in this bitch with? Big Snoop Dogg on the Joe Rogan Experience. Yeah. That's the perfect mic, too. It's got LEDs. <laughs> it's lit up. Are we on joint number six? I done went through two packs, man. It's going to be my last one, Joe. Yeah, I'm just sitting back here. I smoked one. I had to roll one for I the had finale. three hits an hour and a half ago, and I'm still nervous. It's for the finale. <laughs> it's for the finale. Jamie didn't got nineteen hundred dollars worth of secondhand smoke over this, just standing around him like a bodyguard. Just the fact that you have three phones running with no <laughs> no screen dimmer is amazing. 
I'm going to uh, dim it for you, Joe. I'm going to turn it down. No, you don't have to dim it, man. I'm happy you're out there. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Keep that thing on. Keep it on. I don't care. I'm happy you're out there. You make me feel happy. You really do. I'm so I'm so, I'm so glad there's people like you out there. Mm, Got to keep it moving. I know, Snoop, but it's hard. There's a, like, I always compare your kind of level of fame to like a re-entry from a spaceship. Mm. It's like, how much pressure can you take? Can you survive re-entry? Because you get shot up in the stratosphere. Right. And you're, you're, no one's designed to be as famous as Snoop Dogg is. It's not natural. Mm. It's not normal. So when a guy like you is that famous and comes out of it so smooth and smiley and happy, and I'm like, you might be the greatest of all time wow. at dealing with celebrity. And I'm not bullshitting. Wow, you know I had a relationship with Muhammad Ali. That's, that's you know, I mean, he was also, as a boxer, one as of the greatest of all time. That guy sacrificed three years of his fucking career because he didn't want to kill people in Vietnam. As a kid, he was the greatest to me and yeah. everybody around me, and Bruce Lee was right behind him. My parents were hippies. Oh, wow. And my parents did not watch boxing. Mm. But they wanted me to watch Muhammad Ali try to win his title back from Leon Spinks. Wow. I was living in San Francisco. We were living Leon in, only had two teeth. Rest yeah. in peace, Leon. Yeah, I think he had six or seven, but point taken. <laughs> but he beat Muhammad Ali in the first fight. Ali didn't train for him, underestimated him. And Leon Spinks, and it was also like Ali had been through the goddamn ringer. Right. He had been through Joe Frazier. He had been through George Foreman. He had been through so Ken much. Ken Norton. Oh, so broke his jaw. He had been through so much. So that Ali at that time was like it was hard to get Ali up for a big fight, and he didn't get up for a small fight, and he wound up losing the title. And Leon Spinks, who was the brother of the Michael. light heavyweight champion. Michael Spinks, who was the Jenks, who was one of the greatest light heavyweights of all time. His he fucked brother, up when he went oh, heavyweight into Mike Tyson's lane. It's a mistake. He used to fight at 175. He was the shit he at was the that shit. level. It's the, it's, they were too big. But the money was also too big, so he took a chance and he found out. But my parents, who were hippies, made me watch Muhammad Ali versus Leon Spinks because... It wasn't about the ABC, fight. ABC, Y World of Sports. Howard Cosell. Exactly. It was, it was about this guy who stood against the Vietnam War. That's what it was about. He stood up for living. He stood up for, this is what he said, no, no Viet Cong ever did shit to me. That's what he said, basically. Right. And he said, I, why am I killing them? Yeah. I don't have any beef with these people. America, why am I going over America there? done more wrong than me than Vietnam. And history has proven him to be correct. Because the whole reason for getting into that war was something called the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which was a false flag, which means the government pretended that we got attacked by the North Vietnamese, but we didn't. It was bullshit. And was my fake. father had to go over there and serve time in Vietnam. He did, I think, two years, <sighs> and he made it out of there. And thank God he made it out of there because this is before I was even thought of. This was in the late 60s, and I was born in 71. So if he don't make it out of there, I don't get here. I'm so happy that you got here, but I'm so unhappy that there was ever a situation where people maybe who would have also contributed didn't get here mm. because their family died over there. Their mm. daddy died over there. Mm. For nothing. For nothing. For nothing. Do you know what my dad told me? He said the life expectancy for a black man 
in Vietnam in 1968 was 16.4 seconds. What? 16.4 seconds. So the moment you get out there, 16 seconds later, you're dead. Check this out. They get in there on the helicopter. When the helicopter land, naturally, they're probably going to make the black soldiers. This is 68, oh. before Martin Luther King got killed or right around the time. Naturally, black guys, y'all go first. Y'all walking on landmines. And then once the shooting starts, guess who's shooting at you from the back? The white southern soldiers who don't like black people, who now you're being shot at from the front and the back, and you're stepping on landmines, and you possibly could become a POW, and you really don't have no good training because you've really never been around guns, and you're a teenager, and they just throw you in the war. So this is what my people had to go through. These are those stories that are not told that people like me made it out of because my dad, you know, was blessed enough to get out of there. Now you see why I'm a survivor now, right? Yeah. That's the thing about this country. It's like we all want to praise patriotism. We want to say we're in this together. But then you think about the, the things that the very military has done, the way they've done it, the way they've like uh, brought people together in the worst of ways to fight for a war that doesn't make any sense. And then it makes you angry. My dad was over there when Martin Luther King got killed. So imagine how the black soldiers felt when that happened. You know what I'm saying? And this is this is be this is this still no segregation. It's still living the way they was living. That shit didn't kick in to like seventy seventy one when it was the hippie era where it was like, get that shit out of here. White people, black people, we all getting along. We don't know what the fuck y'all was brought up on. Yeah. I love people. I love weed. I love good music, and I love to have fun. And I'm raising my kids to love people. That happened in our era. To set you, when was you born? Sixty what? Sixty seven. I was born in seventy. So by the time you was able to walk and run and play, your parents was full on hippies, and I was just being born. And that's the era that <coughs> I came up in. I come up in the hippie era. That's why I'm so full of love. Yeah. Because of the way I was brought up. I was brought up in that era where I had Mexican friends, Asian friends, white friends, and all sorts of friends. And I knew their mother. They knew my mother. And it was like. They didn't give a fuck about what your race and nationality was. If they can keep us divided by race and nationality, then we won't pay attention to the fact that it's really divided by class and by government. Mm. That's that's what happens. When they get people squabbling about who's white and who's black and who's red and who's blue and who wants affirmative action and who doesn't and who wants uh, universal basic income and who doesn't. And who, Here's what I want. I want... Everybody to live a better life. Thank you. Across the board. How about it? And if you don't start looking at the lowest economic rung and say, before we deal with all the bullshit that's happening and whatever whatever subject you want, if we don't take, if we're we're a team, if we're Team America, and we don't take care of the people that are in the lowest economic rung of the ladder, they're clearly stuck. They're they're in a bad spot. They got a bad roll of the dice. We got to even that out. Oh, look, we're right? as strong as our weakest link. But here's what's weird. You want to know what's weird? Talk to me. When a person comes out of that and emerges, they're super powered. Mm. Like if you get yourself a Marvin Hagler, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. right? If you get yourself a Mike Tyson, yeah. comes out of Brownsville, mm. like there's, like it's not good. It's not good. It's wrong. It's all bad in every way. But when he emerges, he emerges fucking nuclear powered, man. 
Yeah, and then we all talk about him for era, like for for eras and eras. Like if to this day we're still talking about Jack Johnson, because that was a bad motherfucker. That was a bad motherfucker. Fight four people in one night, then drive off with any woman he wants. Yeah, Jack Johnson was a motherfucker. I'm waiting to see if they're gonna make his movie. It's so overdue. Well, they did that Ken Burns documentary. Did you ever see that? He need a movie. A movie. Motion picture. Who would pay? Shaq. Shaquille (laughs) O'Neal. Get his ass back on the phone. Shaq, you Jack Johnson. Here's the thing. Like, he's (laughs) way too big. But for the way people are today versus the way people are then, it almost makes sense. It do. They called him the Galveston Giant, but I think he was only like six foot two. But that was big back then. It was giant back then. No one had food. Stoop, no one had food. Wow. If I, I read that if you go back to 1860, the average American male weighed 130 pounds. It was a it was a cap out. We were we were starving. and it was families like back then. Yep. people made families. Yep, like because I know my mother's family had eight brothers, and my father's family got thirteen brothers and sisters. Yeah, how tall was Jack Johnson? Six foot. Six foot. Why did he look like he's six, six nine? foot? Because everyone was so little. Six foot. He was the Galveston giant. At six foot tall. Now imagine Tyson Fury is six foot nine. <laughs> he would have fucking. Andre the Giant probably would have been like. He's six he nine. He would have been like King Kong to the motherfuckers if he'd have walked up. Tyson Fury. He, like, this is like. Everybody, like, you, you need to look at what creates a great fighter struggle. Right. That guy came from, he was a gypsy. He's the gypsy king. Mm. Like a real gypsy. Like they travel around in caravans, which are basically like Winnebago's. They're in wow. trailers. They live in trailers. And he's the king. He's six foot nine. <laughs> that's called Xerxes. He, he's Xerxes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, that's a version of Xerxes. Right. That version from that era. The fact that Deontay Wilder put everybody else in orbit. Mm. Everybody else, everybody he fought, he put him in orbit. He eventually connected. Didn't matter, Cuban Olympic team member, sh- fuck you, blam. Everybody's going, everybody's going to sleep. And he caught Tyson. He caught him but in the twelfth rock and round of that first fight. The twelfth round, he hit him with a right hand and a left hook behind it, and Tyson was flat out he on his back. Caught him in the last fight he lost. Yep. Caught him twice. Maybe had him hurt worse than he had him hurt in the twelfth round but of the first fight. The thing that I noticed, and nobody was—they thought I was being funny—but if you look at Wilder's legs, they don't have any support to what he's pushing. His legs look like mine. Yeah. <laughs> like where's Khalifa's legs bigger than his? So you got to get that leg day, and you should be all leg day, all core and leg day. Because up top, from the waist up, he uh-huh. on deck. But from the waist down, he got to get stronger. He has a certain vulnerability in that he can knock anyone's lights out if he connects. But if he's forced to move in odd ways, he struggles. You didn't see his legs, though? No, I did. Yeah. So what you no, think? 100%. You're right. Like Tyson Fury, one of the things about him is he'll, he'll stutter step a lot. He'll, like, do this. His feet work like, was amazing. It's amazing. And he, he's strong. Yes. He got a strong core yeah. to where... Yeah, cuz knocked him out, but he was so strong to where it took so too much. The thing is, like, just because you're fat doesn't mean you're weak. Right. You got to realize that. Right. And people look at a fat guy, he's got, like, back fat. Like, I think it's part of the hustle. Because if he can Deception. show up. 
Yeah, because he could show up and stare at you with like his gut hanging out and know he's going to fuck you up. That's some wild confidence, man. I like how he uses reach. But if you're a, a guy who's ripped and shredded and you, you think about it a lot, and a guy who's already fucked you up, and he's got, he's got like belly fat and back fat. <laughs> and <laughs> like he's 40 the... pounds heavier than the last time you seen him. And he still fucks you up again. You knock him down. You hit him with your best shot. He gets up and fucks you up. <sighs> he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a more skillful fighter. You know what it is? He started out his career as a boxer. And then in the 12th round of the first fight with Deontay Wilder, he became a slugger. Right. Because he realized once he had Deontay on his back, and he had him on his heels, he had him back it up, he could fuck him up. It's after Deontay almost knocked him out. It's killer instinct, though. You know that. It is, but it's also like he figured something out, and he realized that Deontay has this insane amount of power going forward. But not backwards. Not, not as much. Right. If you can let him plan himself, you in like trouble. you do with Luis Ortiz. You're in trouble. Yeah, you're in he trouble. Just, he hits dudes on the forehead, and they go night-night. To this wild. day. To this day. To this day. You know, that was my friend Radio Rahim that did that. Yeah. That interview. Yeah. The to this day. Yeah. He was just trying to get Deontay to expand upon his thoughts. <laughs> I love the word. To this day. <laughs> he didn't know it. Deontay was going to get mad at him. He was just like, yeah, I'm with you. And then he realized, oh, my God, he's talking to me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's that boxer's mentality. Either you're with me or you're against me. Exactly. And Deontay was angry. Have any boxers got upset at you for commentary? Nah, not really, because, you know, they know I got squabble on me, so. <laughs> you know, when they come with that shit they talking, I'm liable to steal on them first, then have my security clean them up. <laughs> Go wash his face. Take him in the bathroom and wash his face. Get him back right. No, nah, I'm cool with everybody, man. They know, they know Snoop Dogg is a fun-spirited dude, and I respect everybody's craft, and they know... That's what comes with the territory. If, if they came to see me perform and I didn't perform as good as I was supposed to or missed my lines or fell off stage or did something that was, you know, unorthodox, they got the right to say that. That's what we was talking about earlier as far as that tough skin to yeah. be able to take the criticism. Anytime you get in the professional field, criticism and skepticism comes with it. You know what I, th you know what I think make $1 billion? Donald Trump versus Joe Biden in MMA fight. Oh, wow. They got to be a one-round, 15-second fight because I don't know if old smoking joke can last that long. <clears throat> no rounds. UFC one style. <laughs> I'm putting my money on Trump because I like Trump's beard. Who, Joe? You mean old Joe? <laughs> Trump going to talk him. He going to talk him by the most of it. <sighs> I wonder who we're going to come off first, though. That's, That's the point. real question. That's a good point. <laughs> when are we going to have a president again that we actually like? Is there anybody out there? Probably going to have to be a robot. A robot going to be a president. Yeah, we fuck with old iRobot. That motherfucker cool. Exactly. Something that we all can agree on. Yeah, it'll have to be. We're going to decide that people can't run shit. We have egos. We get in each other's way. Let the robot run it. The robots are not going to run it for per se. They're just going to run like the municipalities, and they're going to take care of the sewage system and, and the power. Be the face. They'll be the face. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. Yeah, being the face. Listen, let me ease your concerns. A robot is not your mayor. 
Mm -mm. Okay, a robot is a facilitator of all the services that we need to have a beautiful cohesive society your mayor is a trans woman Mm. or whatever It's just gonna be about the people That's what it should be about let the people have they say and feel like it's about them because that's the world we're living in right now We really not living up under Nobody's rules. Everybody basically living the way they want, and they putting a lot of peace and love in the air. Because I just think back to a time when my grandparents and great grandparents were around, and they couldn't do certain things. And now people are doing a lot of things together, and we move so far past from where we were to where we at. And I just think it's just gonna keep evolving. And the generation right now, they all about love. The kids, the, they they love each other, and they love to know. If we can keep that as an ethic, we can get through all this bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing about society. Like, and what you do, whether you're doing commentary or what you do when you're rapping or when you're on roasts or you're talking shit and having fun, like, we have to recognize that, like, wait, that's not, it's not, you're having fun. Yeah. That's, like, it doesn't mean you're mean, you're not being mean, you're trying to have fun. That's it. That's all. That's it. That's all. That was my mission, Joe, to come out here and to see you get on this podcast, break off some gifts to you, smoke one or two or three or four or five with you, play some good music, you know, chop it up, share some good stories, and just show camaraderie of two men who love what they do. Plus, I got a really nice chain. Look at that. I don't have anything like this. It's very nice. Dev Jam tells them who I am. Man, I thank you for letting me come on, man. This has been beautiful. It was an honor. It was fun. I think we had a good time. I had a great time. I definitely was too high in the beginning. When it was off and running, I was like, whoa, this is dangerous. I felt like a dude who was like, uh, I was skiing and I fell and I just kept going down the hill. But I saw some (laughs) trees in the distance. I'm like, damn, I hope I can stop before I hit these fucking trees. (laughs) (laughs) I was too high. Yeah, oh. you know, skis and black folks don't deserve each other, so I would never be out there with you. The 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 highest I've ever been on podcast is uh, Wiz Khalifa. That was a rough one. Um, who else? Well, a bunch of them. But yeah, this one. Yeah, we 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 in uh, Planet Snoopiter right now, so we're in a whole other dimension. You know, planets beyond their reach. No one can get to where we at. Do you do do you do any kind of podcast or anything like that? The GGN is my thing where I created a, a where I be doing the watching the animals and shit and doing little voiceovers <laughs> for that shit. You and, watch animals? What do you mean? Yeah, show him the GGN. Pull up on them GGNs. I done had Larry King and all types of motherfuckers come on my show. Larry King was a nice guy. He was amazing. He really is a sweet guy. He was. We switched roles on my show. He was me and I was him. You got it. And I heard that theme music. With the animals. Seth Rogen? Yeah. Sorry for the... See, my podcast is GGN. This is just the, like, highlights of him. Oh, okay. Different people. I was just kind of skipping through. What, Martin Lawrence? What was the goal of the show when you started? Uh, to be a hit. To, you know, to be on the air for some years and, uh, you know, to get the, the, uh, the, uh, just of the show across to people about the relationships. Martin Lawrence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know what? Favorite... So when we watch, hey, baby.
on that you showed uh, Jamie and what else after that martin. right martin that's what it was dude i used to have to follow martin lawrence at the comedy store when he was in his prime you had to go after him <sighs> snoop let me tell you something the lady who ran the comedy store her name was mitzi shore and she was a genius polly's mama exactly yeah. she was she was a genius and she in 1994 when i first came to california like comedy store was mecca like I want, I was out here for a TV show. My album was knocking in '94. '94, <laughs> I was just getting started. In '94, when I came out here, there was uh, one goal: if you're a comedian, that was be a paid regular at the comedy store. So I had a TV show, but I was like, I gotta be a fucking paid regular at the comedy store. And I came out here and eventually became a paid regular at the comedy store. That was all Mitzi Shore. That was this one lady. It was Paulie's mom. What was my point? What were we just talking about? Martin Lawrence. You had oh, to get on after so him. Mitzi was a, she would throw you to the wolves. <laughs> so if she liked you, she would throw you to the wolves. So Martin Lawrence was in his prime. I mean, the leather jumpsuit days. Mm. Dude, let me tell you something. I was... 26 27 years old whatever the fuck i was i wasn't even that good i was like barely passable as a comedian and i would have to go on stage after martin lawrence murdered mm. there was a you so crazy days he would erupt that place the 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 main room would be 350 people just falling on the ground laughing and then i would have to go on afterwards <laughs> <laughs> I bombed. I must have bombed 26 times in a row following Mar Martin. She got you right, Missy. Knew she, was doing she knew what she was doing. But she the point was, I said it. I've said it on this podcast like 100 times. Martin Lawrence is one of the most underappreciated stand-ups ever. Wow. Because he just stopped. He kind of stopped doing it. But when you saw him in those 90s, like the You So Crazy days, dude, yeah. he was a monster. He was killing them Def Jam comedy specials. He was a monster. He would walk on stage and you wanted to laugh the moment you saw him. He had you. Yes. He had you. Yes. And he would just smash. Engage. Just smash. And find somebody in the audience and, and take I would, off. I would go on after him and just eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Martin, for getting Joe where he's supposed to be at, man. Oh, my God. He helped me so much. He has no idea, but he helped me realize, like, you better be way funnier than you are. Yeah. You better be way better than you, you are. You think you good. You better be great. You you better be, you got to come out of the gate guns blazing to make up for this sort of situation. Oh, my goodness. What are these? Those are yours. Premium nutrients. <laughs> what are premium nutrients? Open it up. That's another gift. Yeah, that's, that's my parting gift. You know when you leave a game show and parting gifts. <laughs> Hold on, please. Finna roll me up one and give you a parting gift. Yeah. Snoop, this has been a magical day for me. More for me. I've enjoyed every minute of it. Yeah, I was legit nervous about this podcast. 
Come on, man. Come on, man. I'm just being honest. I was a fan of yours a long time ago. This Back when I could barely out. pay my rent. <laughs> this shit came out dope. <laughs> no, it was good. That's one of the weirdest things for me about podcasts and all the other shit I've done is like uh, getting to meet people. Up close who, and personal. Well, yeah, and people that I used to buy their shit. That's what you my know? podcast is about. Yeah. When I had all them people on there, it was only about motherfuckers that I always wanted to sit down and talk to. Yeah. And I'd be on there smoking with them and chilling, making them feel comfortable. Never asking them about controversy. Oh, my God, this smells so good. You see what it is? Yeah. It's got that glass tip on it, too. It smells amazing. It smells like I'm going to learn something about myself. And I put that glass tip on you so you got that professional. I like it. Yeah, there you go. I wish I was slightly less drunk so I could talk better. <laughs> You're doing fine, Joe. You're doing fine. As are you. You're doing fine. On, um, the, on the way out, I want to say to all the people that's watching and listening, appreciate all the love and the support. Hey, man, it's an honor and a pleasure to be in front of real people. It's a treat when players meet. Joe Rogan, appreciate you for letting me come on and do my thing. Hey, man, I could have been anywhere. I could have been in Dallas. I could have been in... Uh, Houston, I could have been in Galveston, but I chose to be on the Joe Rogan show, man. It's an honor. I said that at the beginning, and I really meant it. Um, uh, I think you're an amazing cultural figure, and you're a cool motherfucker, and you're uh, a shining light and a beacon of love and of friendship and of art, and you, you're just you're just you move things in the right way, and I appreciate you very very much, and I've always appreciated you. Out from the beginning of your career, when I had no idea there would ever come a time where I'd ever be able to sit across a fucking table for mm. you with you for six fucking, how long was it? Five, three hours? Four. Four hours. Four hours. Four hours of some change. Four hours and 20 minutes. We're going to say it been 420, y'all. Big Snoop Dogg, Joe Bogan. We've been rocking and rolling, rolling and rocking. Pay attention, you motherfucker, you. Hello. I'm so high, I'm in a time warp, but. Believe it. My point is, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm sure you, you like when you were telling me how you met James Brown. Yeah. For me. Yeah. That's what it is to meet you. Yeah. Yeah. That was special. It's uh, it's wild. We I, sat we sat at a park bench too. That's so our incredible. knees was touching this shit. You know what I'm saying? What park? No, what? inside of my, I had one inside of my studio. Oh, you do? <laughs> yeah, it was a green one of them green. I thought pic you have your own park or something. A green picnic. <laughs> Park bench, you know what I'm nice, saying? Nice, yeah. And our knees was touching. Like, Ooh. we were sitting that close to where I could feel his knees on mine. I didn't even want to yeah. move the motherfuckers. I was like, nigga, James Brown knees is on mine. I may be able to do the splits or some shit after this. <laughs> Get up. Get, Get on, on up. up. Get up. Hey, yeah. like a sex machine. Yeah. I was uh, at a red light one time, and uh, I had a big, big playback playing in my rental car mm. in, in Houston, Texas. And this uh, this girl pulls up beside me, and it was like you know right when it's like, out, and she's like, that's the shit, and she just drove off, and I and I never forgot that. This is gonna be the last story I'm gonna give you, and it's about the big payback because I don't know if you know, I don't know if you know this. This is some real. Can we play some of that in the background? I don't know if you know He's, about this. Okay, get, so let me get some background. There was a back. there was a movie called Black Caesar. That James Brown did the soundtrack where Paid the Cost to Be the Boss was on there. So when they got to part two of the movie, it was called Hell Up in Harlem. For part one, James made long versions of songs 
and they had no problem with it. When they got to part two, James gave them the big payback, and they told him, can you cut this down to, like, two minutes because it's too long? And James said, I'm not cutting down nothing. I wrote this for the movie, and it should be this way. So they said, you know what, if you don't cut it down, we can't use it. So instead of them using the big payback, James Brown took the big payback and made that his next album. So that was originally for Hell Up in Harlem, a Fred Williamson movie. That's what he wrote this song for. If you listen to the lyrics, it's about the movie, The Big Payback. I like wow. Cuss, we're gonna fight. Yeah, look at that movie. Go look at Black Caesar. This is part two. Can you imagine being in a situation where you're able to do business with James Brown and you fuck it up? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. You should have been like, listen. Whatever you want to do, man. Whatever you give me a hug, bro. I'm just so bad. Can you to cut be the song off you. right here? Listen, no. If I was working with James Brown, I would uh, I'd go, my friend, give me a hug. Whatever you want to do. I want you to be happy. You tell me what makes you happy. Let's do this shit. Let's do this shit. I like to hold his hand. I would hug him. I go, whatever you want to do. See? I don't want extra money from you. You're James fucking Brown. You're one of a kind. You just go ahead. Go ahead. Let's but it go. was better for James. It, it was better for, for it's better for culture. It's better right. for everybody. Right, but see, that's the hidden myth yeah. to that song and the story to it. So now everybody know what it is and where yeah. it came from. You don't get that guy who went on stage in Zaire. You don't get that without some struggle. No, no. it doesn't. It doesn't happen. No, no. It's that's not part possible. Of, that's part of his struggle. It's not possible. No. You wouldn't be that motivated. Yeah, say that. <laughs> Told you he hit 16 splits for George Clinton when he asked him. That's insane. <laughs> but you just don't know if you just, it's hard to go back in time and put it in the perspective of the time when he released this album. This is like a cultural shifting moment. And it would have been bigger if it was on the movie. It would have been bigger for the movie, not for him. Not for him. The, the movie. movie nobody knows about. Everybody knows this song. Dustin Poirier, when he comes out to fight, he comes out to this song. When he beat Conor McGregor, he came out to this song. That's that's all I'm saying. Didn't he? I hope I'm right. This song just got so much significance to when you do lose and you're coming back. Or anytime sure you sort of get back or pay back. Make sure that I'm correct about that. I feel I feel vulnerable. <laughs> I feel like my facts are slippery. The boss. The boss. Yeah, that's it, right? Yeah. That's it. Paid the cost to be the boss. Oh, no, that's, that's, that's on Black Caesar. Oh, that's right. That's, that's the right. first movie. I knew he came out to James Brown. Damn, I fucked it up. Glad I corrected it. I, I was. I felt vulnerable there. Paid the cost. Snoop. Joe. It's. This has been an honor and a privilege, and uh, let's do more of these. And tell everybody, your new album is out on the nineteenth. November 19th, Algorithm, Snoop Dogg. And there's so much talent on the album. There's so many different features on there. It's a Def Jam situation. Y'all make sure y'all go get it. I got a couple of videos and singles out right now. Big Subwoofer, which is Mount Westmore. Murder Music featuring Jadakiss, Benny the Butcher, and Buster Rhymes. And then um, we just finna hit you upside the head all year long. So stay tuned. Stay locked and loaded. Uh, the day comes out. We'll definitely let everybody know on uh, Instagram and all that. That's it right there. Snoop Dogg. Algorithm. How fun was this? It's the Joe Rogan experience, man. And I left you some... Uh, that was fun. 
I left you some artifacts. Yeah, man. You know. <laughs> I'm gonna take some photos. Like motherfuckers I don't know. That they don't know what that man. I gotta get a photo of that right now. Man. I should put that in resin. Like if we just like take that and seal it and like clear you plastic where you don't move the it. Day Snoop can they do that? Came by. Okay, we're gonna do that. We're gonna freeze that pad and all those poor lost tobacco leaves. Like one day someone's gonna smoke me. Nope. Nope. Give me a coffee table off for the. I'm room. just going to peel you out of your skin and use you for blunts on a podcast. <laughs> like that went from seed to nothingness. There's no reason for that. It's waste. Everybody wants to talk about all kinds of waste. Plastic bottles. What's that? Flavor, flavor for what? But the inside of it? That doesn't flavor it. <laughs> Soaking in there. Look, what are you? He's a fucking tobacco supporter. I have to check Jamie's uh, sponsors. <laughs> yeah, see, when you post shit like this on Instagram, I just let that shit just live. Would you post the picture of that? Yeah, if it went through. Let me see if it went through. And then I put your name on there. Don't you feel uncomfortable, Jamie? Like you're in the room with Snoop? You feel odd? I'll write it home. No internet connection. What's going on? It's got to have a Wi-Fi. What's the Wi-Fi in here? Well, I would tell you, but we are still doing oh, okay. the podcast. We're still on the air. <laughs> <laughs> so how about I try no Wi-Fi? Let's let's close this out. You want to close it? Yeah. What are we at now? Four hours. Um. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Snoop Dogg. Um, thank you, Jamie. Thank you, uh, listeners and viewers. See? That's it. Posted. Post. Posted on Instagram live and in the moment. So when you listen to the podcast, go to Snoop's <laughs> Instagram and you can say, the moment that he posted that, that's the moment when it ended. So it'll be up <laughs> later tomorrow. Yeah. So, you always say you got an intro and you got it. an endo. Yes. And that ah. was the endo. I like that. That was dope. Goodbye, everybody. See you. Bye-bye. Bye, bitch.